When you work an hour away from home, it's quite a pain to have to drive two hours a day. An hour there, and an hour back. You end up getting used to it. For me, I usually play some podcasts or music, distracting myself as my mind is on autopilot. I work at a call center in Georgia. I work the old 9 to 5, which again is more like 8 to 6 for me, thanks to my long drive. But because the job pays well, and I own my own home, then that's perfectly fine to me. Now, this drive takes me to several miles of farmland and field. It's some really pleasant scenery, but it was during this stretch of road, the part that I always thought was the most peaceful, that something horrific happened to me. So I left work at around 5.15 p.m., having to stay a few more minutes late due to an irate customer I was on the phone with. This happens quite a lot, as you could probably guess, at call centers. That workday was a bit more bearable, though, as it was a Friday. I had a whole weekend to look forward to, as well as some fun plans with friends that my wife and I had been scheduling for the last month. I clock out, say my goodbyes, then get in my car. I'm driving for about 20 minutes, playing some classic rock, but just thinking about my day. It's funny how long stress can stay with you, even though it doesn't matter anymore. As I hit that stretch of road surrounded by fields and farmland, I received a call from my wife. She wanted to go over the plans with friends tomorrow, so that we wouldn't be late, we knew what to wear, where to show up, and all that jazz. She's the kind of person that, even though we've gone over something several times, she'll go over it with you several more times. I kind of like it. It's nice to have someone to make sure you're prepared. We talked for about ten minutes straight, Glancing out the window, I saw that I was passing by rows upon rows of corn or something. The sun was going down in the distance, and it was quite beautiful. I looked back in front of me, just in time to slam on my brakes as I nearly ran over some person. Before my wife even knew that something was going on on my end, the phone was thrown from my hands by the sudden stopping force, smacking into the windshield. I came to a complete stop, nearly hitting my forehead on the steering wheel. Christ, I muttered, praying that I hadn't hit someone. I rubbed my head and got my wits about me as the car idled on the side of the road to the right. I went straight for my phone with my foot still on the brake. The glass of the windshield where it had hit was perfectly fine, but my phone's screen had all but shattered. The screen was now completely black, there was no call or sound on the other end either. I couldn't get it to turn back on, so it was basically dead. Great, I thought. Talk about making a bad situation worse. If someone was hurt, I wouldn't be able to call 911. I then quickly glanced out of every window, trying to find the person that I nearly hit. I didn't see anyone. Then again, it was getting darker by the second. The sky was a dark purple and blue at this point and in moments it would be completely dark. Still, I didn't see anyone around me. Maybe I'd spooked them, just as they spooked me, and just ran off. I wanted to get out of the car and be perfectly sure, but when my headlights automatically came on from the dimming sun, I quickly found who ran out in front of me. They were... well, they were nude and there were scars all over their skin. 
And the weird thing about this was that this nude person didn't have any defining features, not even any gender-identifying features, on their body. And before long, I realized what I was looking at in the middle of the road ahead of me was the partially illuminated right side of something that wasn't human. There's no way they could be human. I let off the brake and turned on the steering wheel to the left a bit, aligning my car to the center of the road. Then I got a full, good look at it. For the entire duration that I stared at this figure, I couldn't breathe. It was like I forgot how to for a moment. Nothing I was looking at made sense. From head to toe, this thing was human in shape. Two arms, two legs, a head, torso, it was all there. But it wasn't right. Imagine taking a nude photo of a person and then using the smudge tool on Photoshop. That's what it reminded me of. Its flesh was just all sagging skin and scars, and when I finally looked at its face, I was even more terrified than I thought I could be. It didn't have eyes or nose, I don't think. All that was on its face was two diagonal slits and a mouth. The thing sort of twitched and stayed put. During this time that I was horrified of what I was looking at, I was desperately trying to make sense of it, and I even had the thought in my head that maybe I did hit the person, and they came out looking like that. But that's stupid. I know how stupid it sounds now. But being scared, being worried like that, it can do things to your head. As I was still moments away from realizing that I should get out of there or call for help, this creature made the first move, and what a move it was. It took off on two legs at such high speed that I lost sight of it almost immediately. It ran off to my right, and I thought that it ran off into one of these fields. I quickly found myself glancing out the windows trying to locate it again, because when you see something that horrifying. You want to keep your eyes on it. You never want to lose track of that spider in your room. But soon, I heard something instead of seeing it. The sound of my passenger side door being opened. I slammed my foot on the gas pedal, too scared to look over to see if someone got inside. I don't think they did, because I heard the door slam shut from the force of me flooring it but I also heard something dragging on the road outside. Whatever had grabbed the door was still holding on to it. I began to swerve left and right. I nearly swerved off the road and crashed into a ditch, but I managed to shake whatever was holding on to the door. With a thud and a scrape, the dragging sound stopped. I looked in my rear view and saw the thing standing perfectly still in the middle of the road, I never saw it get up. It was just fast and twitchy like that. I sped off down the road, going twice the speed limit to get home. I made it home quickly, arriving to a very distressed wife. I told her everything that happened, even though I'm not sure she believed it all. Even she was worried that I simply hit someone and mistook their appearance or something. I assured her that it wasn't that. Whoever was on the road I had not hit, I knew that for a fact now that my head was clear. 
No accident occurred, but I definitely saw something that defied reality. Something that gave me nightmares for months on end. From that day forward, I didn't use that route to go to work or to go home. There was an alternate route that increased my drive there and back by about 20 to 30 minutes. That sucked, but I'd rather avoid ever having to see something like that again. Silent Hill Creature Thing in the Fields of Georgia. Please leave me be. The Longest Wait From 82 Karen My husband and I are a couple of retired 60-somethings living in British Columbia, Canada. We enjoy long drives and visiting family as often as we can. I'm the one usually doing the driving while my husband falls asleep in the other seat. Two years back, we went to a family get-together. This took us a couple of hours into wooded mountains, where my grandson's cabin was located. We get together at this cabin every now and then, so getting there really isn't the problem. It's our car, which is in worse shape than we are. We've been driving this 96 Ford Taurus with over 320,000 miles for years. It's never let us down before, probably because my husband took good care of it. But it was getting up there in miles and years. It was going to break down sooner or later. I'd been telling him that, but he refused to listen. And wouldn't you know it, on our way to the cabin, it did just that. It left us stranded on the side of a wooded mountain road in the middle of the night. I think it was 8.20 p.m.? Can't be exactly sure. All I know is that it was dark. My husband was tired and ready for another nap, which he settled in for after contacting the local tow company. Luckily, our BCAA would cover it, but it would be 45 minutes before the tow could come. Considering it would take about 60 minutes for someone from my grandson's house to come get us, we just waited for the tow. The tow company would get us closer to my grandson anyway, so I let them know not to bother coming to rescue us, that we'd be up there and just a little late. You may be wondering why it's so late. I forgot to mention that we would be spending the night that weekend. Our family get-togethers are often multiple nights, not just one. Anyway, we were sitting in the car just trying to keep ourselves distracted. My husband was soon snoring in the other seat, while I was flicking through the pages of a home decoration magazine. The dome lights were still functioning, luckily for me. Otherwise, I'd be crazy bored and a bit creeped out. For as long as I lived in British Columbia, deep woods, especially dark deep woods like this, have always been eerie to me. Trees hide things, and so does the dark. When you put those things together, in my mind, anything could be out there. Sadly, this idea was confirmed to me that very night. After waiting about half an hour, I heard something to the left where the road would be. I thought maybe a car was coming up in the distance, or maybe some woodland critters were about to cross the road. When I looked over, I didn't see anything. I stared out the window for a while before that whole feeling creeped out in the woods thing kicked in, so I soon went back to reading. I read for a few more minutes before I heard something else coming from the same side of the car. 
I glanced over. I screamed. I screamed loud enough to freak out what was out there, as well as my husband. When I turned to look out the window, there was something leaning up against it. What I saw was a big hairy claw pressed up against the window and a long canine-like snout sniffing the edge of the window. When I screamed, it jumped back away from the car. I then got a pretty good look at it thanks to the full moon. To be honest with you, I thought it was a bear at first. I had a lovely time feeding a bear by hand once. This was at a zoo I went to that I remember as a child. I clearly remember what bears looked like and how they moved and walked, so my theory that this creature was a bear was soon tossed right out the window. It stood on two legs for far too long, and when it began to walk a bit, it was far too graceful and walked more like a person. It had the features of a wolf, pointed ears, shaggy fur, canine snout, but when it walked, it had its hands sort of in front of its body, facing each other, palms open. It didn't swing its arms back and forth like a person would. Its legs were thick, and they had one extra joint compared to a person's. I was startled once again when I heard behind me, What in God's name? It was my husband, who was wide awake and staring at the same odd scene as I. I reprimanded him for startling me and then looked back at the creature, who was starting to walk around the car. From the look on its face, it appeared to be more curious than anything. Maybe a bit cautious, too. But who wouldn't be? Maybe it had never seen a car up close before. Watching it walk around was really bizarre. Seriously, it walked like a person. Walking was second nature to it. Seeing something walk on two legs that isn't a person is a really creepy experience. An experience I wish, and also didn't wish, other people could experience. As it's walking, all the while, it's staring into the car at us. Again, I was sure it was being curious, but being looked at by something far bigger than me like that, it was very spooky. It got up real close to the car again, and began to rake its claws across the top of it, that disgusting sound made me feel like my ears were going to bleed. It stopped doing that after a few moments, then got low to the ground, low enough that it was below the windows of the car, and it started to tug at the handle of the back passenger door. The entire car was locked, so I wasn't as worried as I could have been, but I was starting to think that this thing really wanted inside the car with us. My husband, beginning to panic, leans over and presses on the horn. The creature once more jumps and goes back toward the road, a spot that I think it felt safe at, for whatever reason. Still, it's walking on two legs, never once trying to go on all fours like you'd expect any animal to. I think that spooked it enough, though, because it turned around and walked away to the opposite side of the road and disappeared into the woods. By then, it was right about time for our tow guy to get here, and after a couple of minutes, he arrived, though I wished he would have arrived early enough to see that thing. Though my husband and I had both seen it, it would have been nice if we had some confirmation from a stranger or a third party. The entire time this happened, it felt like time had slowed down. 
It was definitely the longest I felt I ever waited for anything. We made it to my grandson's quite late, but I'll be darned if we didn't have quite the story to tell. One that might be a bit too unbelievable for them. What I saw as a police officer from Anonymous. I work as a cop. A couple of years ago, I was often working nights in a patrol car, setting up speed traps at the local racing intersection and responding to any late night calls. This being middle of nowhere, Tennessee, not a lot happened. This particular incident happened on a night where my only call was a domestic dispute out in the country. We were always getting domestic dispute calls from this couple out there. A couple of married farmers that didn't belong together, but didn't get the hint. They'd been married 20 years, but fought nightly, and they didn't pay peace of mind to their neighbors who lived actually quite close to them. It was pretty irritating. The husband drank a little too much and had a temper, but his wife had an even bigger temper, one that didn't need to hide below some alcohol. Even still, after leaving that call that night, I couldn't be sure if I was more sorry for him or for her, but in the end, I just felt sorry for myself. Their home was located on an old country highway, one of those old long roads that used to be a heavily traveled highway but now is nothing more than a glorified dirt road, now that the gravel was beginning to crumble. It was in such bad shape that you didn't want to drive more than 25 going through it. Luckily, the surrounding area was quite serene, so it wasn't so bad when you had to stick around longer than you had to out there. After the call was done and I was heading out, I was driving down this old road. Must have been driving 10 minutes or so, when I spotted a broken-down vehicle on the side of the road. I'd come in from a different direction, so I wouldn't have seen this car until now. And considering this particular section of the road was pretty heavily traveled during the weekdays by commercial vehicles and loggers, it was something that needed to be dealt with. And yeah, I know how it sounds. It was an old, torn-apart highway, but it was still quite well-traveled by people who worked out here, and there were quite a few of them at that. Anyway, this sucker was going to need a windshield tag. So I got out of the car with my torch, and I began to circle the vehicle, shining my lights inside of it to make sure no one was in there. It was empty and seemingly abandoned, and there wasn't a tag in the window yet. So I began to write it up. I was going to have this vehicle towed in the next few days if no one came to get it. At least then it would be out of the way and not a hazard. As I'm filling out the tag, it starts. The ground begins to shake a bit in a sort of pattern. The thing it immediately reminded me of, and this is going to sound silly, sure, but Jurassic Park, where the T-Rex is walking in the distance and it causes the cup to vibrate with each step, it was like that in a way. After a couple of these vibrations, I was beginning to freak out, and then there was a sound of something shifting within the trees to the left of me just beyond where the car was abandoned. I shone my torch in that direction, but I didn't see anything at first, just trees. And then those vibrating footsteps continued, and I could see faint movement beyond the shadows. My knees grew weak, and I realized I was scared. 
I quickly reminded myself that I had a gun in case something bad did happen. But that didn't comfort me as much as it should have. I found myself backpedaling toward my police cruiser. The footsteps were massive. Whatever they were coming from was extremely heavy and quite slow. But I could tell it was moving, getting closer. As I stood there, leaning against the police cruiser and trembling, I watched a colossal, slow figure move from the left side of the road to the right. The whole time I was shining my torchlight at it, only able to shine one part of the enormous thing at a time. I could see hair at first, long wavy hair that looked dirty and matted, a bit damp too. I then saw short legs that ended in awkwardly shaped feet with nails that curled inward. Then I peered towards its face. Its face reminded me of a mix between a brown bear and a sloth. But the problem with that is, the entirety of this thing was too big. Take the biggest brown bear you've ever seen, and multiply it by four and you might have something that big. This thing was so huge, it looked as if it could tear one of the oak trees nearby right out of the ground and use it as a back scratcher. I've heard plenty of stories of Bigfoot, aliens and crap. All these weird creatures that are creepy or they're kind of bigger than you that you don't want to see in the woods. But I've never, ever heard tales of something this big. It made sense. I mean, if something like this lived in the woods, it would be easily found, or so you'd think. In a couple of behemoth-sized steps... It was already across the road. Though it was slow for its size, I'm not sure I could keep up with it with how big it was. I'm standing there, wondering what I should do. Do you call things like this in? I mean, you wouldn't call in the fact that you just encountered a deer. It's just, it's wildlife, right? I didn't know what to do at all. Besides, if I did call it in, how would dispatch take that or respond to it? Suddenly, my legs stopped trembling, and I found a source of motivation within me, one that I didn't think I'd have. I was curious. Terrified, sure, but I was curious. Latching on harder to my torch, I ran into the woods following the trail of this thing. I ran off into the woods, trying to get a better look at it. The amount of distance it had already covered between the trees was astounding. The trees weren't especially thick in this area. When something did get in its way, it was sure to bend them out of the way, though it seemed to be careful not to break any. That was odd. There must have been a reason for that. I ran for several minutes, but I was never able to catch up to it, though its footprints were very obviously there, though they looked more like a trail than prints, like it was dragging its back feet instead of raising them. I was out of breath after a while, and I decided to head back. I didn't want to leave my police cruiser alone. I then thought that maybe the camera on the cruiser would have caught this thing in action. But sadly, the cruiser was facing at such an angle that all it really captured was me riding up a windshield tag next to that abandoned car on the shoulder. I sat in the cruiser for a while, thinking about what had just happened wondering what I was going to say to my colleagues. I even took pictures of its trail 
but I ended up recycling that phone later on, so I don't have a picture to show here. I did show it to some friends, who simply said it could have been an ATV or a tractor or something, and so far, no matter who I've told, they don't believe my story. And instead of finishing up my windshield tag, I ended up letting someone else do it later the next day. I was kind of creeped out by that area. I was sure that that creature wasn't hostile, but I didn't want to know what it felt like to be squished or flattened by that creature by accident, which I'm sure has happened to some unsuspecting deer or wildlife. With something that big, you'd be nothing more than a cricket. That's not the end of the story. Maybe the end to my story, but I ended up getting some more information from someone who encountered something weird in the same region. I knew this lady who worked for the Forest Service. We chatted for a while whenever we came into contact with each other. She always had a lot of fun stories to tell about her time on the job, but this one in particular was quite interesting to me, because I'm sure that my experience has something to do with hers. She had gotten reports of illegal logging going on in the woods over there. When she showed up, she definitely saw signs of something going on. But instead of finding traces of human logging, what she saw were branches torn asunder from trees. Some trees ripped out of the ground, partially eaten and chewed. And she swears that whatever chewed up these trees and pulled them out would had to have been huge to leave bite marks that big. And whatever did that was also peeling leaves off the trees with ease. There were healthy trees out there, completely scraped and void of leaves. Dozens of them were found like that. Whoever reported this had said that they had heard sounds like trees breaking and being cut down in the middle of the night. That's why they thought it was illegal logging. After hearing this story, and considering my own experience... There was only one thing I knew of that could do that, that was big enough to leave teeth marks that big, big enough to strip clean leaves from trees. But I don't know what to call it. I don't even know what it is. But I guess it's good to know that it's an herbivore. So I guess you're perfectly fine, as long as you don't piss it off or accidentally step under its walking path. If you have any ideas as to what this creature could be, let me know. In the meantime, I'm going to try not to think about how sharing the fate that those trees did would be terrible. Don't get out of your car. If you see something weird on the road, if there's something following you as you drive down the highway, and it's not another car, just don't get out. Don't slow down. Because if you do... You basically have a death wish. So, be smart and drive safe. And keep those doors locked and windows rolled up. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own and you want to hear it narrated, the first thing you gotta do is share it with us at darkstories.org. I'd love to hear your scary experiences about creepy things that happened in the mist or fog. If you want to support the show, you can check the links in the description. There's a link to my Patreon where you can donate and help us stay afloat. And there's a link to my merch store where you can get some creepy shirts and stuff. Well, I'll catch you next time. Don't worry.
you won't have to wait too long for more scary stories. Till then, here are the credits to my amazing patrons. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy. Because this world is a strange one. fabric of your old gray winter jacket crinkles as you step out the door. The lone street lamp illuminates almost not as a thick fog has rolled in on your still dark morning. Twenty minutes. It's all the time you have for a quick jog before you grab a thermos of black coffee and head off to work. You take off at a sprint, then steady yourself into a brisk walk. It's a bit colder than you expected especially as the aura of heat from your recent shower is beginning to wear off. The fog thickens in front of you, and you're forced to stop entirely. Standing within the mist are stark silhouettes. People, dozens of people, standing completely still in the middle of the road. You wonder, what's going on? But the trembling anticipation in your legs has you walking back, then your foot lands on a crumbling piece of loosened asphalt. With a light but audible crack, all dozens of the people turn toward you. And what you didn't realize until now was that they were also behind you. Cold hands stifle your screams. Another figure appears in the mist, one wearing an old gray crinkling winter jacket. These are terrifying stories told in the mist. If you have a scary story, I'd love to narrate it. All you gotta do is share it with us at darkstories.org or reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails. I'm looking for stories about supernatural creatures or entities that have haunted you or your family for years. Now, let's begin. Ghost Hiker in the Mist From Ashtree 252 One summer in college at CU Boulder, I was taking courses in the morning and working nights. That summer I had made a goal for myself of hiking every trail at Chautauqua Park. The park contains numerous trails throughout the famous Flatirons and surrounding mountains, my goal of hiking each trail was going well when I decided to hike one afternoon before work. That day it was pouring outside. I was having a bout of summit fever and could not stand the idea of missing out on a hike. I justified hiking in poor conditions by instead doing a shorter, low-elevation hike. Once my classes finished at noon, I made my way from Norlin Library to the unusually empty trailhead parking lot. Actually, I'd never seen the parking lot without any cars before, until then. I considered myself lucky, because I would hopefully have the trail all to myself that day. I started walking up the gravel road, leading to a collection of trails on the west side of the park. I looked up and I saw an older man through the misty rain with long gray hair pulled into a ponytail 
He was walking towards the empty parking lot. I was instantly wary. I moved as close as I could to the right side of the mountain to give the man a wide berth. I glanced at the man again. I saw that he was wearing old-school Danner boots and a Jansport external aluminum frame backpack. This was made in the 70s. As he passed by me, I placed my hand on my waist strap pocket containing my knife. I heard him crunch by and kept sight of him in my peripheral vision. I glanced back a moment later, because the moment he passed, the sound of his boots completely stopped. I figured the man must have stopped behind me, which worried me, so I unzipped my pocket, flipping open my knife and whirling around. But the man was gone entirely. I looked around in confusion. The gravel road was constructed between two steep dirt mountains. There was nowhere he could have just disappeared to. I think, that foggy afternoon, I was certain I had witnessed a ghost from the past. Eyes in the Mist From Pharmasnap My family always loved to go camping. Some of my earliest memories are of sleeping in a tent and roasting marshmallows around the fire. As we got older, my parents let my younger brother Abe and I explore the campgrounds and make the long trek to the outhouses by ourselves. By the time I was a teenager, we had graduated from a tent to a pop-up camper. I was able to drive my own car when we went, so that I had more freedom to explore. The incident in the mist occurred on a trip when my brother brought his friend John along with us. We had spent an amazing day at the beach, fishing, shooting potatoes into the lake with a homemade potato gun. After dinner, when the sky was darkening and streaked with red, we had decided to try and go catch frogs on the other side of the grounds. It was several miles away, so Abe, John, and I piled into the car and headed to the other side of the lake. The night was hot and muggy, and visibility was low due to the mist that had descended around us. I drove very slowly, due to the fog, and we all felt a little uneasy due to the creepy feeling that it created. By the time we made it to our destination, the sun had set completely, and it was very dark. Usually, when camping, there is no light pollution to mask the sky so we were often treated to an endless display of stars and moonlight. This night, however, it was hard to see due to the mist that was now swirling around us. We exited the car, grabbed our nets and a bucket, and started for the edge of the lake. We liked to visit this particular site due to the multitude of small peninsulas of land that led out into the water. The pussy willows were high and thick this far into the summer, and the smell of the lake was overpowering. We carefully made our way to the water and tried in vain to catch some frogs, but we were not successful. We still had a grand old time watching frogs leap easily out of our grasp, landing with a loud splash in the murky water. Once the frogs decided they'd had enough of us and all disappeared, we started the trek back to the car. The mist was still swirling around us, creating an eerie feeling as we trudged through the willows and tall grass, 
feeling the ground squish beneath our feet. All of a sudden, Abe held out his hand to stop us. Did you hear that? He whispered. Hear what? I whispered back. Nobody moved, and I think both of us held our breath. I could hear what sounded like flesh tearing and bones breaking. It was then that John said, Oh crap, guys. We followed his wide-eyed gaze, and staring back at us were two very large yellow eyes. I'm only five foot three, and the eyes were just a little bit lower than mine. We were frozen to the spot, terrified to find out what was staring at us. The wind suddenly blew a bit harder, clearing some of the mist for a moment, and we saw what it was standing between us and the safety of our car. It was an owl, but it was unlike any owl I've seen before. It was bigger than I was, a giant of an owl, and it was ripping apart a squirrel. With a scream, it flapped its massive wings and began to peck at us, a warning to stay away. The three of us scattered, each running in a different direction. But since we were surrounded by water on three sides, there really wasn't any place to go. The next several seconds, which felt like an eternity, were spent trying to dodge this angry, screeching owl, moving around it to make it to the car. Of course, I dropped the car keys in the process, and we had to search for them in the tall grass frantically, hoping the owl would leave us alone. But the owl took flight as I flattened myself to the ground, eventually finding the set of keys. We all jumped up and booked it to the car. Immediately, I drove away, but I had to pull over and calm down before we got back to camp. We were all pretty embarrassed for being bested by a bird, albeit a very large, predatory bird. This was definitely no ordinary owl. It was so big that telling people the story, I doubt anyone would believe me. Luckily, I don't think this thing was trying to eat us, but it was definitely pissed that we had stumbled upon it while it was eating. The Man from Sinya Many years ago, I was working as a labor and delivery nurse on night shift, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in a small southern Oregon city. Occasionally, the nurses in my unit would take turns being put on call, which, to be honest, none of us really wanted to do, since we were required to just sit at home, awake, all night, and wait for a call that may or may not come. However, one late fall, early winter night, my turn to be on call came. I made the best of it. I enjoyed dinner with family, getting my children their baths, tucking them into bed. Finally, at about two o'clock in the morning, I received the call to come in to work. I quietly grabbed my bag, slipped on my shoes and a winter coat, and I double-checked to make sure all the doors were locked. Then, after one more check on the sleeping husband and kids, I slipped out into the cold, foggy night. We lived in a quiet, family-oriented subdivision, slightly outside of the city, so I wasn't afraid of being outside at such a late hour. Not wanting to wake up my family or neighbors, 
I unlocked, slid into, and started my car as quietly as I could. I drove slowly through the quickly thickening fog and out to the four-lane avenue that would take me to the hospital. I pulled up to the stop sign at the exit of the subdivision, which was lit up by two tall streetlights, one on each side of the street. I was relaxed, slightly sleepy, and listening to the radio. Looking carefully into the thick fog, first left, then right, not seeing any cars at all, I prepared to turn right, but decided to look left one last time. That's when, like a switch being flipped, before I could even turn my head fully, I froze. Every single hair on my neck stood straight up. My fight-or-flight response kicked in. My respiratory and heart rate rapidly increased, my hands clenching the wheel. I knew something bad, something dangerous, was watching me. It felt as if time stopped when I managed to turn my head. Standing there in the mist under the hazy, cold light of the streetlight, only a few feet from my car, was an extremely tall man wearing a dark hood that covered most of his face. You need to remember, nurses are trained to observe. We see details that some people might not notice, all within seconds, and this is what I observed. He stood about six foot three. He was well built, muscular even. Besides the dark hoodie, he was wearing worn out jeans and dark shoes on his large feet. I could not see his upper face, only that he had a thin dark mustache and a pointed goatee over a strong, masculine jaw. All these details I took in within seconds, but then, as if drawn against my will, my eyes snapped back to his face. He had tilted his head up and back so I could finally see his eyes. And his eyes... His eyes were glowing, and I mean illuminating from within, like strange, incandescent green light. I was riveted to that unearthly glow, my medically trained brain desperately searching for a scientific reason for the bizarre light, when he slowly began to smile. My God, that smile. Even now I get chills and my body tenses with the memory of it. I don't even know how to properly describe what happened. At first all I saw were rather masculine lips over perfectly formed, brilliant white teeth. But as I watched, holding my breath, his canine teeth seemed to change, elongate, lengthen, sharpen, until they were abnormally long and pointed. And it wasn't just glowing eyes or elongated canines, it was his presence, a dark, creepy, frightening, all-consuming predatory presence. He loomed in the misty darkness, surrounded by shadows, not surrounded by, but like he was pulling the shadows in and around him. The hazy light from the distant streetlight barely touched him. I slowly became aware that my vision had narrowed and tunneled onto his cold, terrifying face, his glowing eyes, and his long, canine teeth. He drew me in, pulled me towards him, yet at the same time horrified me. But he just stood there, smirking at me, perfectly still, letting me take a good long look at him. Then he began to radiate amusement, his smile broadening 
and he threw back his head and laughed, a deep, booming laugh that vibrated through my entire body and tickled my ears. But how? I was in my running car, windows up, radio playing, and heater blasting. How in the hell did I hear, not to mention feel, him laugh? Honestly, I knew I was in trouble here. I couldn't move, couldn't take my eyes off of this man. If my cell phone hadn't suddenly began to blast my stupid ringtone, hadn't jolted me back into myself, setting fire to my fight-or-flight instincts, I just don't know what would have happened to me. But my phone did ring. My survival instincts did take over, and I slammed my foot on the gas, wrenching my will to the right and fishtailing it out onto the main road. I threw my eyes up into the rearview mirror, turning my head back and forth, but I could not find the man anywhere. He was gone. Within a few seconds, he had vanished like he had never been there. My cell phone rang again as I started driving. I hadn't seen one single car this entire time, time that had felt like an eternity, but in reality, was just a few moments. I hit the speaker on my phone and heard my husband asking why I hadn't woken him up to say that I was leaving for work. He could tell something was wrong, but I didn't know what to say except that I saw a very creepy-looking guy not far from our house. He laughed it off, telling me not to worry about some meth head wandering around. I had 15 to 20 minutes to calm down by the time I reached the hospital. By the time I walked in, my co-workers grabbed me, set me down in a chair, and asked what was wrong. Apparently, I looked as pale as a ghost and was still shaking. Again, I didn't know what to say, so I made up a quick story about a meth head stepping in front of my car and nearly hitting him. They all seemed to buy my story and we then threw ourselves into work. After a decade of being a registered nurse in hospitals, I've seen and dealt with many horrifying situations. I've seen birth, I've seen death, and I've seen it all in between. I've handled it all in my calm, professional, but tough-as-nails manner. But this man in the mist, I've never experienced anything like that. Not before, and not since. He terrified me, but at the same time he made me curious, too. I can't explain how his eyes glowed from within like they did, unnaturally, impossibly, or how his teeth elongated and sharpened right before my eyes. I was only a few feet away from him. If he had wanted to hurt me, he could have reached me in a second, and yet he just stood there, showing himself, letting me see him. After all these years, he still haunts me. Until now, I've only ever told very few people, and only after I've had a few drinks or so. But I'm asking you, have you ever seen anything like him before? Has anyone experienced anything like this? Was it human? Was it vampire? Was it a demon? What exactly did I see that night in the cold, dark winter mist? Do they walk the streets at night? From Gothica 1 I live in a hamlet, 
If you don't know what that is, it's a very small village. So small, unless you know someone who lives there, you'd never find it. Where I live has been around before the state I live in was even a state. There are still buildings, though not touched, that stand made of cobblestone. Most people's basements, if they have one, are reinforced cobblestone structures. This includes my home, which I could tell you so many stories just about there, but this one is about the village itself. When I moved here, I came to help my family get things in order with their home, and it didn't take very long to realize how strange the place was. When you enter, you feel like you've entered another place. Driving in, you feel that unearthly feeling of tingles that fade in a second or two. I've lived here for years now, but the feeling never changes. It becomes part of life. I noticed that after eight at night, no one would be out, save for Fridays. It was so quiet in the village and in the woods surrounding it, you wouldn't even hear crickets. On occasion, if you're lucky, you could hear the howl of wolves in the distance. The place never seemed to change the number of residents. It seems as by some horror movie rule. The only time someone moved in was right after someone died, or soon before someone died. I moved here when I was 22, two days after another 22-year-old man died outside the village in a motorcycle accident. I could tell you so much about where I live that it could make your skin crawl. So much so that visiting once, most of my friends never return to where I live, and I have to visit them. And despite all this, I've never felt more comfortable than I do, despite all the weird things that happen here. Like I was always meant to live here, and there's a reason for that I will get into another time. As I mentioned, the whole village seems to go to sleep at eight, except me. I work the late shift, so I get home very late. Maybe that's why I see so many strange things when I take the dog out. Things like black dogs, people vanishing into thin air, very unusual things like that. Two weeks ago, I switched shifts, which meant I was one of those people in before eight because I had to get up at five in the morning. Usually, I would drop my dog off at the sitter so I could sleep in instead of taking him out. Unfortunately, that day I had no choice. The sitter was out of town, and I had to get up to take him out. The sun wasn't even up yet, just the misty dew and fog. It was light enough to see the details of the street and surrounding area, but dark enough not to say it was truly dawn. I got to the glass door of my apartment, and my dog froze, beginning to whine. I was confused, so I peered outside making sure there wasn't a wolf or something out there. But that was not the problem. I saw in the streets these heavy, dark shadows that appeared to be walking, like black mist moving separately, walking down the road past my home. I should have felt more unnerved than I did. Instead, I just stared in confusion, in awe. Was I seeing this? Was someone else seeing this? Is this why people stayed inside until sunrise? Questions ran through my head. Rather than thinking about going back up the stairs to my apartment, I instead watched. These living shadows seemed to separate in different ways, like a group of friends heading their own respective directions. One floated the speed of someone walking past the street my door faced, but this one stopped, 
as if it knew I had been watching it. I waited a moment before taking my dog outside, for which he was very angry about as he did not want to be outside. But I didn't feel uneasy. I wasn't scared, per se, and my dog kept looking in the direction that the weird mist had gone. I wondered what they were. Why did they flee when they noticed me? And still I wonder if other people see them. Do they walk the streets at night and in the morning every day? Do I want to know what they are? I Lost Time From Gothica 1 There's this road that I travel nearly every day to and from work. The past two years of doing this has plagued me with sightings of strange creatures, mists crossing the road, figures that I can't explain, unusual lights that have no source, and even things appearing in the sky. Lately, I feel like it's been playing even more tricks on me. This road has many accounts of this from myself and other people. But this particular incident has left me very confused. As of late, I've been taking a different route to and from work for the very reasons listed above. It takes me additional time to get to and from work, but I'm okay with that most days. Unfortunately, there is construction being done on my longer route, so I have to go back to this strange road I try to avoid. Anyway, I've had a few incidents on this road that feel like time jumps without me noticing, and yet I go nowhere. An example of this was I felt very foggy and dizzy and then suddenly ten minutes had gone by and I'd barely made any headway on a block that I should have already been past. These things were minor and a very, very small factor as to why I avoid that road as much as possible. Things were different this time. It takes me roughly an hour to get home from work, about 45 minutes at the bare minimum, and that's if I'm speeding. I have a habit of timing things, keeping a close eye on the bright neon clock in my car. It's part of the routines I keep. Moving on, I left work in good spirits at around 5.45 exactly. I know this because I'd been on the phone with my mom as I got in the car, and I told her I really wanted to get home so I wasn't stopping anywhere. I then left work. There was a light fog on the road and a minimum traffic as I left the city. As soon as I hit the highway that takes me to the road, I put my car in cruise control at 55 miles an hour, which is pretty normal. I do this because there are bored cops in various parts of the roads, and I was not about to get a speeding ticket for going four over. That would just give them something to do. I remember driving down the road, which was pretty vacant considering it was the middle of the day and not late at night as most of my shifts end. I made it through the small town off the highway I have to go through, and then I made it right past my normally preferred ulterior road. I remember not turning on my radio because I had a slight headache at the time and it wouldn't help. I remember turning off on that road that I hated. But then, it stops. I don't remember driving anymore and I don't remember getting off the road. I remember turning and then nothing. The next thing I knew, I am parked off the road and I'm on the final part of the highway that leads me home. I kept going and pulled in my driveway and looked at the clock. 
something felt strange. It should be darker by the time I normally get home, but not tonight. My clock read 6.15. I wondered if my engine had done something and the clock had froze, as it's happened before, but my phone read the same thing. I sat there for a few minutes not getting out of my car, and I called my mom, because I could not figure out how I'd gotten home. Why I couldn't remember. How was I here so fast in general? She answered and asked if I could grab something from the store. I told her I was home already, and she asked me how. I didn't have an answer, though. I still don't have an answer. Yesterday, after originally posting this, I timed myself on the way home. I sped over 60 miles an hour, and even then, when there was no traffic on the road at all, it took me 45 minutes. I don't know what happened. I don't know how it happened. But I'm glad that the detour will be over soon. I'd rather this not ever happen again. When the mist begins to form, and you're not behind a nice thick wall with locked doors, you'd better run. Because the things in the mist will pull you in and make you a part of it. A part of them. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want to have your story narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org. Or, if you're on Reddit, go to reddit.com slash r slash darknessprevails. If you want to support the show, check the links in the description. There's a link where you can donate and help us on Patreon, and a link to my merch store, where you can get some Darkness Prevails merchandise. Well, that brings us to the end of this show, but don't worry, because more scary stories are on the way soon, so stay tuned. Until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to help and donate. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Paranormal and supernatural are a subject of controversy. Many believe and many don't, while some even claim to have witnessed the unexplainable. But what do you do when the beyond normal goes a step further and physically attacks you? Today I have some terrifying stories about people who claim to have been attacked or assaulted by paranormal or supernatural forces. This includes anything from ghosts to aliens or cryptids. If you have a story of your own and want it narrated, share it with us at darkstories.org or reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails. I'm looking for scary stories from people who used to be homeless. Now, let's begin. The Woman with the Unhinged Jaw from Beta Beto. Fifteen years ago, my family moved us into an old but cheap and rather large house in Wisconsin. 
I was seven years old at the time. It was my first big move, and I hated it. I cried, thinking I'd never get to see my friends again, feeling that my entire life had changed beyond my control. Little did I know at the time that things were only going to get worse. This house was a big wooden structure. The wood was rotting in a few places, which an inspector had warned us to get fixed by the sellers before we moved in. But I believe my parents haggled for a lower price on the house instead. We didn't have a lot of money or time back then. But this came with its own price. Not too long after living there, I ended up breaking a hole into the wood just by walking on it, causing a fractured plank to slice open my calf. This house was a lot of firsts for me. My first move and my first stitches. What a pleasant experience. Anyway, let's head back to when we were actually moving in. It came time for my sister and I to pick bedrooms. Oddly enough, this house had a weird placement with its rooms. There was a master bedroom and another bedroom downstairs, while the attic, as well as another bedroom, was upstairs. My parents wanted my younger sister, who was four at the time, to be closer to them, so they let her have the room downstairs. I was kind of excited about having the upstairs room. I liked having a window that overlooked things outside. There were trees out there that I wondered if I could jump to. Being a seven-year-old, I didn't realize just how dangerous that could have been, though. Luckily, I never tried. The thing about this room, though, was the moment I started sleeping in it, I got nightmares. They weren't specific nightmares, but they were definitely nightmares, by which I mean they didn't follow any similar plots or anything like that. It was just a bunch of bad dreams every night. At first, I didn't think about it. Usually, I forget everything I dreamt about the night before. But as I started to recall them, I then assumed it was just me not being happy with the move. Not to mention the place was pretty eerie. An old wooden house, separated by an entire floor from my family. Surely any seven-year-old would be scared of something like that. I didn't sleep comfortably at all for as long as we lived there, and I'm going to tell you why it only got worse. You see, a couple of months after the nightmare started, something else started too. I would begin waking up around 3 a.m. I had a clock in my room, so when I woke up, I would usually check it first. It was my way of gauging how soon my mom was going to come into the room to make me get ready for school. I would usually see that it was 3 a.m., though. These moments when I woke up in the middle of the night for seemingly no reason. As I couldn't go back to sleep without getting some water and emptying my bladder, I would first go to the bathroom and then to the kitchen. Then I would come back to my room. Now what you should know about me back then was that I was an extremely scared kid. I would always keep the doors shut in my room when I went to sleep. I would keep the blinds closed. And even when I went to the bathroom... I would yank open the shower curtains to make sure there was nothing standing there inside that shouldn't be there. I can't be the only one that did that. So I wouldn't go to bed without making sure the door to the bedroom and the closet door were both tightly closed. But every single time I came back from getting a drink of water and going to the bathroom, that closet door of mine would be wide open. I remember the first time it happened. I stood in the doorway just looking at that door, wondering if 
Perhaps me opening the bedroom door caused a draft that opened the closet door. But then I remembered that I had closed the closet door all the way, and even tugged on it to make sure that it was latched. There could have been a storm brewing in that room, and that door should have stayed shut. The only way it could have opened is if someone twisted the knob. The first time it happened, I shut the door, then I went back to bed, wondering how in the world that could have happened, thinking that maybe someone else went into my room, my mom or my dad or even my sister, and for whatever reason, they opened the closet door, then left. It didn't make sense then, and it doesn't make sense now. Me waking up at 3 a.m., the closet door opening on its own. This would happen each night for a couple of more weeks. Now keep in mind, when this was going on, I would always go to the bathroom and then go for a drink of water. It became a routine. A routine that consisted of closing the closet door again and just going back to sleep, doing my best to ignore the weird closet. Eventually, I explained to myself that there was just a flaw in the way the door was laid. That even though at first it seemed to be latched when he closed it, something about the house's shape or structure caused the door to become unhinged. This explanation was enough to help me sleep almost peacefully, except for the nightmares, for some time. Until the night came that I was way too tired to get out of bed for my usual drink of water, my usual bladder emptying. That night, when I woke up at 3 a.m. once again, I rolled back over and I shut my eyes hard. I was exhausted. My mom would be waking me up to get ready for school in a few hours. I just wanted to sleep. But before I could fall back into a nice bout of unconsciousness, a sound awoke me completely. It was a creaking noise, coming from the opposite side of the room. I slowly raised up and searched for the noise. When I saw that the closet door was opening. All I could do was stare at the door as it opened, confused, still under the impression that it was simply the shape of the house, causing the door to open again. The door was soon completely open, the bottom of the door on the other side, touching one of those doorstops. I stared into the darkness of the closet, realizing just how dark, dark could be. I had a closet full of clothes in there, and the closet floor was a mess of clothes and toys mixed together. But what I could see was just a black void. I stared at it. I stared until something emerged. Its appearance was quite sudden. It wasn't steady at all. It caused my eyes to widen, and I instantly got chills and goosebumps all over me. What protruded from the darkness was a face... An old, haggard woman's face. Her skin was wrinkled and saggy, some of it sort of hanging off of her. Her eyes were hazy white, as if someone had dripped some milk into them, and her mouth was open. But it wasn't because she let it hang open. It's because, apparently, she couldn't close it. Her jaw appeared to be broken, causing her mouth to hang open in the most disturbing and odd way. I think that was the worst part. It didn't take long for me to crawl backward against the wall, screaming for my parents. 
The face remained, even as the footsteps of my parents raced up to my room. My dad threw open the door, and the moment he flicked on the light switch, the face disappeared. I could now see my shirts hanging as they should be in the closet, and my messy pile of random things in the floor. As I stared into the closet, my parents were begging to know what was wrong. Seven-year-old me tried his best to explain that there was a woman in his closet. My dad rolled his eyes and wouldn't even humor me by checking the closet. They both went back to bed, exasperated. They turned off the light and closed the door, but before I even attempted to look at the closet again, I ran for the light switch and turned it back on. For the remainder of my time in that room... I did not turn the lights out. My paranoia grew and grew as I began to think about what would happen if the light went out one night. So I ended up smuggling some light bulbs into my room just in case that happened. For some reason, I would not see the woman's face and the closet door would not open as long as that light was on. And I guess that chair I propped up nightly against the closet helped too. For a while, Things were normal again, as normal as being paranoid of a woman in your closet could be. A few more weeks go by. Nothing goes on. I still have nightmares, but they seem to be coming less and less. I actually get a few nights of good sleep. But then it happened again. I woke up and saw that it was 3 a.m. My heart began to pound and I knew what might happen. I crawled out of bed and began to go to the door. The light was still on, but I had awakened at 3 a.m. again, which meant that something was about to go down. But then I froze in my tracks. A wood-on-wood -wood scooting sort of sound occurred behind me. I stopped and turned to see what was going on. The chair that was propped up against the closet had been shoved out of the way by some unseen force, and the closet door was opening. Every inch it opened, the light bulb would flicker in my room until the door was wide open and the light was completely out. Desperately, I began to flick the light on and off, trying to get it to turn back on, when I should have simply been running out of there. I stare into that closet darkness as well, needing to know whether or not the face would appear. I figured if I knew it was there, if I kept an eye on it, I would at least be safe or have enough time to defend myself or escape. I'm not entirely sure why I didn't just escape anyway. Fear has a sort of power over you, and it's stronger the younger you are. As I stared into the closet... The face never appeared, and I was beginning to feel relieved. Just to be sure, I began to scan the entire room, every dark corner, trying to make sure there was nothing there that shouldn't be. I take a couple of steps away from my door, trying to peer onto the other side of the closet, getting a better angle of that side of the room to make sure that the face wasn't there. This brought me closer to the bed and by the time that I saw her face again, it was too late. The face was not in the closet. It was peering out from under my bed, 
just as I wanted to scream. An old, wrinkly, and cold hand yanked at my ankle, causing me to fall onto my back. It knocked the wind out of me, and when I opened my eyes, the woman was no longer under the bed. She was crawling over me. I couldn't breathe then. This moment of feeling like prey to something that didn't make sense had caused my body's functions to stop working. I remember holding my breath, staring at her in the milky eyes she had. Her jaws unhinged more now, making her mouth cartoonishly wide compared to a normal person's. As she approaches my face, her jaw expands more and more, until it's far bigger than my own head, and to my horror, that's what her plan was. Her gaping maw began to descend over my face, and then suddenly, it all stopped. I opened my eyes after flinching. The lights had come back on. I was in the floor, but the woman was nowhere to be seen. I looked over and saw a very tired dad standing in the doorway, wondering what in the world all this ruckus was about. He had heard the chair scoot across the floor, and he had heard me fall down onto my back. I got lucky. I can't help but imagine what would have happened to me if my dad had ignored those noises or had slept a little deeper that night. But this event was my turning point. I refused entirely to ever sleep in that room again. I threw such a fit with my parents that they decided to switch me and my sister's rooms. But I hated that idea even more. The thought of my sister sleeping in that room... It made me more paranoid. I had visions in my head of the woman coming out and swallowing my sister. But my parents were tired of my fits, tired of me waking them up. They would not have it any other way, so I made my own secret decision. For the remaining four and a half years that we lived there, I did not sleep in my room. Every night when we went to bed, I snuck out and I would lay in my sister's floor. I would turn on the lamp, which was light enough to make me feel safe, but soft enough that it did not wake my sister. I would lay in the floor, dozing in and out of sleep, but whenever I was awake, I would be watching that closet. Under my watchful eye, it never opened on its own again, and none of us had to deal with that woman anymore. We moved to a different state entirely. After those four and a half long years, and let me tell you, finally being able to catch up on my sleep was heaven. And the place we moved to had a room that didn't even have a closet, believe it or not. And noticing that, I quickly called dibs. I'd much rather fold all my clothes into a big dresser than have to deal with that woman again. I'm 22 now. I've got my own apartment. I've got a fiancé and a decent job, but the fear I felt is very real, even still. To this day, I have the occasional dream of that face, and I have a very real fear of closets. My great-uncle's legends were true. From Old White I live in the south in the wilder bits of Louisiana, 
As you'd probably guess without even meeting me, one of my favorite pastimes is fishing, because there ain't nothing better than a fish fry or a crawdad boil. For as long as I could remember, up to now, I would go fishing all the time, and would usually be accompanied by my cousin and great-uncle. My great-uncle was quite the character. He was the perfect pick for Santa every year, on our Christmas gatherings, because he had a big, white, flowing beard. As a kid, it was pretty tempting to play with his beard, but he'd always reprimand us if he caught us trying to touch it. But my great-uncle was a great guy. He was good with kids. He had a passion about teaching the younger generation things. He was the one that taught me how to fish, how to catch crawdads, and even handed down his best recipes for a fish fry, which to this day I'm thankful for. Basically everything I love to do. It was introduced to me and taught to me by my great-uncle. But there was something about my great-uncle that was kind of off, and I think it had to do with that story he always told us. Because great-uncle loved to tell the story about the hickadoo. The hickadoo, apparently, was a creature that lurked in the bogs of Louisiana. He blamed that creature, in all seriousness, for biting off his left pinky toe during a lone fishing trip he took. Everyone who heard that story thought it was crazy. Said he probably just got his toe bitten off by a gator, or if anything, an especially brave fish. But Great Uncle remained resilient about his story, brushing off his non-believers. He said he'd never forget that day, and he told us that if we ever encountered the hickadoo, we would definitely know it was coming. He explained when the thing came up on him, the bog got real quiet, the fish stopped biting, and a real nasty smell, he said, a smell like a soggy dead corpse, filled the air. Even I thought his story was bullcrap. I mean, what kind of name even is the Hickadoo? It sounded like a jumble of syllables he just tossed out there to nickname his story and creature he made up. But I didn't think he was crazy. I thought he was just entertaining some kids. Kids he loved. Well, as the years went on, Great Uncle grew older, and so did I. But he wasn't young anymore. Far from it. And the day passed that he would no longer be able to go fishing with us. He was basically sick all the time, and he had to stay at home, hooked up to an oxygen tank. Though it wasn't as enjoyable, my cousin and I would still go fishing together. It was important to us to continue the hobby together and bring back some delicious fish for my great-uncle. This brings me to my encounter. It was a lazy afternoon, and I didn't have any work to do. My cousin didn't have a job. It was an overcast day, and it was starting to rain a bit. He took the opportunity to invite me on a little fishing excursion, and being bored, I definitely obliged. We took our little boat down to the creek, and threw our rods in the water, kicking back and enjoying ourselves. We talked about our love lives, then joked about what Great Uncle was doing, probably watching Price is Right or something, I said. We weren't able to relax long that afternoon, though. The fish were biting like mad. In no time, we'd caught nearly a dozen bass. But then, things changed quite suddenly. You see, it was still raining, still overcast. But like a light switch, the bass stopped biting. Everything stopped biting. The water gets real still, except for the ripples from the rain. 
and the fog that was over the water began to lay down real thick, like a transparent white sheet, and the bugs along the shore suddenly went quiet. And then I smelled it. It was a real raunchy smell. I laughed and covered my nose, telling my cousin that that was disgusting. He was like, what are you talking about? I didn't do that. I rolled my eyes and continued to watch my rod, hoping that the fish would come back. We didn't really put two and two together. I guess we should have taken Great Uncle's old story more seriously. Hey, what's that in the water? My cousin says and points out over the boat. Sure enough, there's something floating there, rising just a bit out of the water. And immediately I think, it's a gator. I pull my feet back over from the edge of the boat, just to be safe. This gator began to drift closer to the boat, either curious or hungry for the fish we had aboard. I'm watching it close, because I'm not about to lose an arm to some desperate gator. As it's about two or so feet away from our boat, something happens that I did not expect. It goes for the boat. It lunges itself out of the water and at us. I was expecting a big long mouth with big teeth to come at me, but what flew out of the water wasn't a mouth at all. It was a long, pale and bluish-gray arm. An arm that ended in a claw, with fingers that were webbed. I was immediately horrified. Not only were we being attacked by a wild animal, but it was by an animal that I had no idea existed and was unlike anything I'd seen before. It raked its claws across the edge of the boat, then ducked back under the water, eventually appearing once again, its eyes floating above the water once more as it watched us, now on the other side of us. Now, let me tell you, when it clawed our boat... It did it with such force that it nearly capsized the whole thing. Whatever it was, was real strong. And as it went back into the water before it appeared on the other side, it had made this gurgling sound. Sounded kind of gross, to be honest. While the two of us were silent and watching this thing float about on the other side of the boat now, we could see it a bit better, as I think the commotion had caused the fog to dissipate around us a bit. I didn't get the color wrong. It was definitely a pale bluish-gray. But now I could see that it had very clear veins pulsating just under the skin. Veins that were purple, that expanded and contracted with each of its heartbeats. That was also pretty creepy and gross. It was a bit of a standoff. The three of us not moving. I recall being afraid to move, figuring that if I did move suddenly, it would attack again. What I wanted to do was jump to the motor and get us out of here, but then that thing comes again, leaping its entire upper half out of the water and trying to get into the boat. It seemed to be grasping at our feet, ignoring the fish altogether. It wanted us. It was real quick, but we were just barely able to dodge its grasps. We began to beat at it with our fishing rods, which wasn't a good idea as the lines were still in the water. I'm surprised one of us didn't get hooked by the other. Eventually, it falls back into the water, probably getting ready to try again. But by then, my cousin was fumbling around with the motor. Just as its head popped up again in a different spot by the boat, the motor roared to life, and we were speeding away over the water. Man, we got out of there so fast. It wasn't until we were hitching the boat back to my truck that we realized 
my great-uncle's story was quite true. This may have been the famous hickadoo he was talking about, but it didn't look like no hickadoo to me. Bog monster was definitely a better phrase. We drove straight to my great-uncle's place, who was very happy to see us. We were skinning and deboning the fish, all the while telling great-uncle about our encounter at the creek. He couldn't help but have a big smile. Then he got real serious. After all, he was never the type to say, I told you so. He warned us instead, telling us that if we ever go out there again, it's probably best that we bring a gun, too. He was definitely right. Anything that can slap and capsize a boat that size with people in it, with their bare hand, was dangerous enough to warrant a gun. All this story being told, keep it in mind, if you're ever out in the swamps or bogs or creeks of Louisiana, and things start to get a little too still and a little too smelly, you might want to pack it up, or at least have your guns ready. They Took Me From Isabel Four. I can't tell you how sick and nauseous it makes me when people wave off other people's abduction stories. When they say that it was simply a dream or sleep paralysis, it's like spitting in my face, telling me that my trauma, my horror, wasn't real, and that the PTSD I have from it is just something I made up. I'm not saying you should believe people's abduction stories. You should always be skeptical of anything that doesn't make sense to you. What I am saying is that it definitely does happen to people. And it happened to me. This was the most horrifying moment of my life, and I'll never forget it. I grew up in Missouri, in a small white house, surrounded by farmland. It was a place where you could look out into the distance and see nothing but fields. It was gorgeous. Every day I'd come home from school around three. My parents wouldn't be home until around after sunset, so I'd take myself over to these hills by the house. On warmer days, it made the best spot to relax and take naps. I would use my backpack as a pillow of sorts. It wasn't the best pillow, obviously. I would look out over the countryside and eventually fall asleep. When I'd wake up, I'd head back over to the house, wait for my parents, and have a snack. But one day something happened that changed my sense of security and safety at my own home forever. I remember getting off the bus. It was a bright and sunny day. The skies were as clear as they could be. I walked right over to the hill and laid my backpack under me, laying my head on it, and staring out into the country. The beams of the sun were hitting my face, making me perfectly warm, leading to a very quick sleep. I woke up some time later, but this is where it gets bad. When I opened my eyes, it was brighter than before, brighter than a clear sunny day. I had to rub my eyes and eventually get used to the brightness. And when I could see the things around me, I saw that I was not outside anymore. I wasn't at my hill at all. I appeared to be in this small metal room. I couldn't even tell you where the light was coming from, but the light was intense. 
and despite the intense light, the walls and floor of this metal room were ice cold as I began to panic. Noticing that I was not familiar with where I was at, I saw that my backpack was gone too. I was terrified. I'd been kidnapped, I told myself. Someone had come and taken me in my sleep. But where had they put me? What kind of place was this? I remember calling for help, screaming to let me out, and that's when I noticed something strange. Despite the room being small and enclosed, there was a deep and vast echo, a distant echo. It didn't make sense at all. And I felt as if I was being watched, as if one of these metal panels was actually a two-way mirror. I cried and screamed for so long, beating against the cold walls and floor, that I eventually exhausted myself and collapsed onto the ground against the wall. After about seven minutes of just lying there, my mind a blank and my body confused and tired, finally, something happened. One of the panels on the floor began to open, revealing solid black, as if there was nothing at all beyond it. It was a black so black that it was unrealistic, like someone had filled in a square with a sharpie or a black marker. I had this idea that it was my chance to escape, or at least find out what was going on. I wanted to pick myself up and jump into the hole and see what happened. But as I stood up, before I approached the opening, something began to crawl inside. It was another person. As soon as they were in the room, the opening closed, and we were both trapped in here together. It was another girl, apparently, and as she pulled her hair from her face, I got a good look at her, and what I saw truly disturbed me. This other girl was also me, but all wrong. It was like looking at a funhouse mirror version of yourself, all contorted and twisted. It was me, that's for sure, but it was more like someone had a copy of my skin and desperately stretched it over someone else's body. Her eyes were different shapes. Her mouth was longer on one side, her teeth a jumbled mess, and instead of a nose, there was just a bump there, as if the person who had made the skin copy had forgotten what a nose looked like. I think she was smiling but from the contorted look of her face, I couldn't be sure. All I did know was that it didn't make sense and it scared me, and this caused me to scream out in fear. The scream echoed in the distance that didn't exist, and the other me screamed too, but her face looked angry now. This other me jumped at me and began to pull at my hair, causing some of it to yank out. As soon as that happened, the room began to vibrate, and then there was a sound emanating from all around us, a sort of metal whir. The other me began to pass out, and soon my vision got foggy. When I came to, I was on the hill again. My heart was pounding, there were tears still in my eyes. I felt my head, and it was sore from where my hair had been pulled out. 
I scoured the ground for my backpack, which I had just been laying on, I thought, but it wasn't there. As I came to my senses, I heard my parents calling for me, and I realized it was after dark. They must have gotten home and didn't find me at the house. I ran to them, crying even more then. I tried to tell them what happened to me, but they told me it was a dream, and focused more on the fact that I would lost my backpack, full of my schoolwork, and I got in a lot of trouble. My hair eventually grew back, but my feeling of safety and understanding of the world around me, that never returned. I know it wasn't a dream. It might be one thing to pull your own hair out while you're sleeping, but it's an entirely different thing to lose your backpack in your sleep and to never find it again. I was extremely aware in that experience. Aware as I am writing this, the encounter was real. Believe me or not, it wasn't just some fabricated memory. I wish it was. Bitten from Wardwick Work boots are a heck of a thing. They're pretty thick, tough, and can take a beating. I've been working construction in the rural south for years. Working along country roads is the norm for me. This is also what led me to my most terrifying and close encounter. The company I work for at the time was late finishing a deadline for the current project. As such, they were up for some volunteers to work overtime during the night, just a few hours after five, so it wasn't that bad. I did love extra money, so I took some overtime, and I stayed late one night finishing up part of the road. This wasn't a new road, just one that really needed some repairs. Some recent storms and extremely high winds had done a lot of damage to the road. That night, I was working with one other guy named Henry, but he was on the far end of the construction. I was on the other end, near the detour. Must have been around 8 p.m. at the time, so we only had another hour to go before we could go home. I was taking a breather after doing a bit of heavy lifting, not to mention my feet were sore and it was tempting to take my boots off. I had blisters on both of them. Anyway, I sat down, and I took an extra ham sandwich that I'd packed for the day and started to chew on it. But as I preferred my cold cuts cold, and this sucker had long been warm, my taste buds had seen better days. It was then, from within the fields ahead of me, that I heard what sounded like a coyote. Coyotes were common around here, and usually when one started howling, a bunch of others would tune in and soon there'd be an orchestra of coyotes or dogs howling at the moon, or whatever those suckers howled at. But this howl was much different. There was a crap load of bass to it, and even after a minute or two of it howling, nothing wanted to join it. It was like all the nearby wildlife was too afraid to reply to this one's howl. My hackles were definitely raised then. I continued to eat my sandwich, taking my mind off the weird howl by looking at the stars, then scanning up and down the road, realizing that no one had come down this road to the detour for a long while, so it was sure quiet around here, especially once the howling settled down. When I did eventually look back at the road ahead of me, more specifically toward the field beyond the road, there was something there that wasn't there before. 
there was a tall, black figure. Must have been six feet tall at least. I thought it was a person standing on the other side of the road. Someone in a long, dark coat. But they weren't moving, except for the slow and deep breathing they were doing. And from what I could tell, they were watching me. This was sudden for me to see, so it kind of startled me. I muttered, Christ, under my breath. The figure definitely heard me say this, but they continued to remain motionless, still breathing those big, deep breaths. I still couldn't tell if it was a person, to be sure, but what else would it be, I thought. I decided to call out to them, since it was kind of awkward between us. Uh, howdy, I called out. The figure did not respond or budge in any way. I was really beginning to get freaked out now. Stranger or not, this guy was weird. Henry, I called out to the other worker. I didn't feel like being alone with this figure anymore. But saying this, it finally caused the figure to start moving. And oddly enough, it lowered itself onto four legs and that's when I saw sharp, pointed ears on top of its head. This was no person. If anything, it was a canine. But that doesn't make sense. It was standing exactly like a person seconds ago. Everything after that was a blur of terror and adrenaline. The figure, at an unnatural speed, strided across the road, closing the distance in a matter of seconds. All I had time to do was drop my sandwich and jump as the thing opened its mouth and attacked me. Me jumping caused its trajectory to be a bit off, which probably saved my life, because its teeth landed around my work boot. Work boots are a heck of a thing. They're pretty thick, tough, and can take a beating. That's probably why it didn't break through to my skin but that sucker tore my boot right off, and for some reason or another, it ran away back into the fields. I watched it as it did so, astounded at how big it was and how fast it could move. If it was a dog, it was the biggest dog I'd ever seen, not to mention the weirdest. What dog goes around just motionlessly standing on two legs and staring at people? And this thing, it was bigger than me, for sure. If it wanted to turn me into a soggy red mess, it could have done so. But by some freaking miracle, it stopped at just tearing my boot off. A boot that I've never seen again. I quickly ran over to Henry after that, told him that I was done for the day. He saw my one bare foot and didn't ask any questions. I drove home. And the next day, I told my boss that I was not working late in that area anymore. I'd be happy to work late on future projects, just not this one. That was my experience. Do you guys think it was a dog? Or do you think it's something else? And don't say it was a bear. I know what a bear looks like. I'm not dumb. And this thing was far from it. Carried Away from Anonymous A 
As long as I can remember, my family has always lived in this countryside setting. I think it's because my parents paid off their home long before I was born, and they're the type of folks who would never sell the place. They always said, why be in debt again? The fewer bills, the better. Guess I couldn't blame them. But dang, did I hate that place. It wasn't the house itself. It was those darned woods. Growing up there, my brothers and I each had a different nightly chore assigned to us. Mine was taking out the trash. Now, to anyone listening, that sounds like the easiest chore you could get. Bag up the trash, throw it out, put another bag in the can. And you're right, it really is the easiest chore. I'd rather do that than do dishes for a family of six, or to vacuum and sweep the place, like my other brothers had to do. But the thing about taking out the trash where we lived was that our makeshift homemade dumpster we had was shared between us and two other neighbors. That meant we had to go all the way down the gravel driveway to the edge of the road, a road that bordered an expanse of thick, dark woods. To the left and to the right was dirt road for as far as you can see, all of which was bordered on one side by those woods. Woods that creeped me the heck out since the beginning, the beginning being my earliest memories. As for the dumpster, it was just across the road from those woods, so it was on our side of that road. It sat quietly under a telephone pole with a light on it, but somehow that made it even creepier. And the walk to that dumpster was a good 50 yards, so this guy got his steps in back in the day. So yeah, I hated going out there. And those woods didn't just look eerie, they were eerie. At one point, I swear to you, I heard someone calling my name from the woods. Didn't know who it was or who it sounded like. All I knew was that I had to hightail it back to my house. On a different occasion, I've seen lights in those woods. Lights that seem to float up and down before disappearing. Now these woods are too thick to walk in. They're basically a jungle of brambles and brush at the bottom. You'd probably have to bulldoze a trail through it if you wanted to walk through it. Needless to say, hunters and hikers were not something you'd see in there. It was just impossible at the time being. So where those lights were coming from, I've no idea. One night, though, in particular, the strangest thing happened to me. After failing to trade off my chore with my brothers, I had to take out the garbage, as usual. I tied up and pulled out the bag and began to carry it to the dumpster. If I had anything at all good going for me that night, it was that the bag was pretty light. A bunch of paper and cardboard on the inside, I guess. After a while, I made it to the dumpster. The street light was in full force that night, but somehow beyond it, the darkness was even darker than usual. But maybe that was just me. Me being a scared kid. I tossed the bag inside and I began to turn around. And immediately, without any other warning, that's when it happened. My body was pulled hard, like pulled with such force that I could have gotten whiplash from it. My head is jerked forward, and it feels like something has me in a chokehold. But I'm not just dragged away. 
I'm lifted off the freaking ground and go nearly straight up. I'm pulled upwards somewhere between 25 to 30 feet before I'm basically thrown or dropped into a tree branch. My breath is taken out of me, and I'm so panicky and confused that I just start screaming. We kids weren't allowed to have phones at the time, so I was just screaming for help until my throat went dry, and that it did. I was too afraid to get down from the tree myself, wasn't even sure if I could, and I was scared to look around. I was scared that I would see what did this to me, and the thought of that oh, gave me chills. I didn't want to see it, no matter what it was. Eventually, my little brother was sent to fetch me. Apparently, no one could hear me from there. He laughs when he sees I'm in a tree, and then runs off to get my dad. My dad uses a ladder to get up the tree, then climbs the rest of the way, helping me down. When I get back home, as I try to explain what happened, my brothers claimed I just climbed the tree myself and made everything up to get out of taking out the trash from now on. My mother, though, overly concerned, decided that we should do something else about the trash. Even if this didn't happen, it was a better idea what she suggested. From there on out, we would just pile trash into the garage, where there was plenty of room. And at the end of every week, we would pile it into Dad's truck in the bed, then drive to the dumpster and throw it all in together. <laughs> Big thanks to my mom on that one. As for the encounter, I still don't know what the heck happened. It doesn't make any sense. What sort of entity or creature, or whatever, could drag me up the tree like that, from the solid ground? Whatever it was would have to fly, and I don't think any birds exist that are big enough to drag off a 13-year-old kid. I think I must have weighed 120 at the time. Plus, it didn't feel like a bird gripping me in its talons. Again, it felt like someone was behind me, put me in a chokehold, then suddenly was lifted off the ground into a tree at something like a 65-degree angle, because I was on the other side of the road and the tree I ended up in was on the opposite side. It's just a weird experience. I have no idea what attacked me that day, but I'm glad I never had to deal with the trash that way again. Think of life like a scatterplot. Most of those dots and data will end up in the middle. That's normal, the average. But with all things, there are deviations, those random pieces of data that lie way outside of the norm. Consider it paranormal, supernatural. Believe in it or don't. Seems like it won't change the fact that some very weird, dangerous, and unexplainable things happen, and you usually never expect it. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you want your story narrated, you got to share it with us at darkstories.org or reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails. We're looking for stories about people who are homeless and experienced creepy things. If you want to support the show, check the links below. There's a link to my Patreon and a link to my merch store. Well, that brings us to the end of this Darkness Prevails episode. But don't you worry, more scary stories are on the way soon. So stay tuned. Until next time... Here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're great people.
Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. Homelessness is a problem that should be at the top of our list to cure as a species, along with hunger and disease. Sadly, the homeless population seems to increase every year. In the U.S. alone, there are around 550,000 homeless people on a given night, according to endhomelessness.org. That's so many people suffering a true horror story every day struggling to survive and maintain sanity. But when you're kept out in the open after dark, when there are no walls to shelter you, you end up experiencing things that defy all logic, things that keep you awake on those cold, damp nights. These are horror stories from the perspective of homeless people. If you have a scary story, share it with us at darkstories.org or reddit.com slash r slash darkness prevails, and I might narrate it. I'm looking for scary night shift experiences from foreigners. Now, let's begin. Life is Rough from Anonymous As most of us do, I went through a very rough patch in my life. About five or so years ago, I was laid off from a well-paying factory job and estranged from my family due to a lot of infighting and disagreements. This hurricane of everything going wrong, it happened at the same time and put me in a situation where all I had left was a broken down truck that stopped running in a hardware store parking lot and the clothes on my back and whatever was left in my truck. I was homeless for about six or seven months or so. For as long as I could, I pleaded with the owner of that hardware store not to tow away my truck. I explained my situation. I had to live in that darn truck. I couldn't afford to stay anywhere else, and those homeless shelters we had were always full, no matter where I went or when I went. It was all I had to keep me warm. You see, nights were getting well below the 20 degree mark. I could quite literally freeze to death if I didn't have that truck. He did what he could for as long as he could, but he was getting tired of seeing that truck out there. This ended up happening the day before he eventually towed it, but luckily this was only about a couple of weeks before I finally got back on my feet again. A bit of a close call, I think. 
So yeah, my truck had been parked at the edge of a hardware store when it broke down. The parking lot itself bordered a field. So let me get into the night that it happened. I was trying to get some sleep. It was dark out, must have been around 11.30pm or so. So there wasn't anyone left in the parking lot but me, and there was no one driving around on the roads. It was a fairly small town, after all. But the problem that night by night began to grow on me as I slept in that truck were the windows. The truck's windows were not at all tinted, and the darkness of the fields nearby, accompanied with the fact that I was sleeping in the middle of a public area, meant that I did not feel secure or safe at all. So, feeling a bit eerie, I decided to take some of my torn-up work clothes I had in the back seat and tie them up over the windows so that I could not see out of them and no one could see inside. Sadly, I wasn't able to do this for the windshield. It was just too big and I didn't have enough spare clothes. But the way I was laying, I couldn't see much of the windshield anyway. It was just the driver and passenger windows that bothered me. So after blocking those windows with some old dirty closed curtains, I tried to fall asleep, when suddenly the shirt I'd tied to the driver's side window fell down. This begins my hardship with trying to get that shirt to stay tied to that window. The little hook that pops out over the window was broken. It had been broken for a long time, so when I tied the shirt to it, it just kept slowly sliding off. This happened several times. It was a pain. Eventually, I tied into a real good knot. This managed to work, but not permanently. It worked long enough for me to fall asleep, but because of my nervousness and having to fidget with that window so much, my body ended up waking itself up, as if it was telling me to check the window again, just in case that shirt had fallen off. So I looked at the window and saw that the shirt was still there, so I turned over, uh, but I nudged the window just right with my foot, causing the shirt to fall down once more. I sighed and lifted myself up. I picked up the shirt then looked back at the window, and I screamed. There was someone at my driver's side window, and they were staring at me. It appeared to be a young woman with jet black hair and an oval-shaped face. Her skin was as pale as the moon. I'd never seen skin that color before. But the problem with this woman, what made me realize this wasn't right, it was her eyes first. Her eyes were solid white. At first I thought she had her eyes closed, but I could see her eyelashes pointing upwards on the top. Her eyes were wide open, but they were as pale as her skin, with no pupils. Then I saw her mouth, which was almost normal, except her lower row of teeth at the front were stabbing through her lower lip, as if she had fallen forward so hard her teeth were shoved through and got stuck there. She was bleeding through the wound. She slid her hand down the window and tapped it with her index finger just a bit, just enough that I could hear it. She then spoke to me in what amounted to little more than a whisper, but the night was quiet enough that I could hear what she said. Stay warm. 
stay warm, she had said. She stared at me for a long time, never blinking, but she was definitely breathing, as her breaths were fogging up the window. Eventually, she turned toward the field and walked away. In a panic, though I was scared, I jumped out of the truck. I had to check on her. She looked injured. She looked like she was on the verge of death. She wasn't in the field by the time I got out, which didn't make sense at all. I went to scour the field myself, but I never saw her again. There was no trace of her. But I was still horrified. I ran over to the nearest police station. I reported what I saw. When a police cruiser and a couple of cops came out to check, they thought I was on drugs. They didn't find her either. There were no footsteps. There weren't even any fingerprints left on my window. To this day, I've gotten no idea if it was a woman on the verge of dying after an accident, or if it was some spirit coming to check on me. She didn't feel scary. She didn't have the intent to hurt me, I don't think, and her voice seemed kind. If the woman was alive, then I hope she's okay and she got the help she needed. But if she wasn't, well, thank you. After Dark Voices from TJ All Day 21 I was living in Long Island, New York at the time. I was dead broke and homeless. I was desperate for a job and had quite a few altercations with people, whether physical, mental, or emotional. Mostly mental. I was living in this shelter for a few months. There were females there, but not many. Those that were there were either old, or they were used-up drug heads begging for either clothes or food in the morning. One night after falling asleep, I woke up at about three o'clock in the morning. I sat there staring at the wall, thinking over things, wondering how in the world I was going to get myself out of this situation. When, unexpectedly, I received a phone call from an unknown number. Yeah, even homeless folks sometimes have phones. I went ahead and answered the call. Hello? I said, and at first I almost thought I could make out the words, but it was so echoed and staticky that I couldn't make out much of anything. The other end, there seemed to be multiple voices speaking in unison, and as I answered a couple more times, the voices only grew louder, as if they were speaking to me, but were growing frustrated that I didn't understand. Eventually, I got goosebumps all over. I hung up the phone, but the voices continued for a few more moments. I covered my ears until they stopped, and when they did, I realized that what I had experienced was not of this world, and I had no earthly idea what it was. Was I just randomly visited by the voices of a spirit? But why? Why me? I'll never sleep in the streets again. From Bellow. 
I live in the northwest of the United States. It gets insanely cold. And as I had been homeless for a year, I'm honestly surprised that I even lived through it. I actually did lose two fingers on my left hand from frostbite during that time. Things did get better for me. Eventually, I scored a job as a janitor from an extremely nice employer. He even allowed me to sleep in the storeroom until I could afford an apartment. This was the kind of help that changed everything. But this happened long before that. When I was homeless, I spent my days on the road, holding up a sign begging for spare change in cash or food. At first, I did hold a sign that was asking for work, but I never really got responses for it. Now, before sundown every night, I would settle into my nest. This was a bundled-up mass of newspaper and loose paper inside the biggest cardboard box I could find. I would sleep under three tossed jackets. Used to be four, but another homeless person had lifted it off of me while I slept. It's really live or die out there. Now, my box was pretty good and sturdy, but it only had three sides, as the fourth side had collapsed outward. I kept it that way, because it acted as a sort of entrance. I kept this little nest of mine at the end of an alleyway in the district of town where there's a bunch of old brick buildings. I guess you could say it was the oldest part of town. Now, at the edge of this alley, the town turns to forest and brush that was very much unmanaged. It was so bad, it was starting to look like a jungle. Now, one night, I was sleeping in my nest when something nudged me awake. It felt as if someone had tugged at my pant leg. I was too exhausted to care too much, so I grunted and pulled back. Then there was an immediate tug as a response, another one, but this time it was hard enough to yank my entire body halfway out of the box. I was wide awake now, and a bit scared, as well as kind of angry. Someone came up to me to attack me in my sleep, and I was not happy about it. Before I could even speak, dish out a warning, or even kick into fight-or-flight mode, whatever had been tugging at me began to drag me away. I could then feel a set of sharp somethings pressing into my boot. I soon realized that my attacker was dragging me into the brush and in the woods. We passed through the forest edge. I tried yanking away from the thing, tried kicking it, but for the longest time it wouldn't let up. The more the light of the town faded, the more I began to freak out. Eventually, whatever was attacking me let me go, but it wasn't because I'd hit it. It let me go on its own decision. I crawled backward a bit, quickly cutting myself on thorns that were behind me. There was just enough light from the town that I could see a bit in front of me, a thin pillar of light. I could see multiple sets of eyes around me, circling me. These things seemed to be walking on all fours. They were animals, that I was certain of. I assumed that they were coyotes, maybe wild dogs. But then a sound began to erupt from these entities that I was not expecting. It was laughter. 
It was human-style laughter, as if a group of teenagers had heard the funniest joke in the world. I figured that, if anything, this was just some weird coyote sounds I hadn't heard before. If they were coyotes, I'd never been this close to one before, so that made sense to me. I mean, what else could it be? Suddenly, two of them stepped into the light, and I got a good look at what I was dealing with. Their faces were completely flat. They didn't have pointed snouts like canines would. These creatures were also extremely thin, sort of aerodynamic-looking, with large, wide mouths on their faces. They horrified me and confused me, but I didn't care what they were at the moment. If I didn't get out of there, I was going to die. So I picked myself up in a hurry, and I ran away from them, scratching my entire body as I went through the brush. That whole time, I could hear them crawling through the brush after me. I was able to make it back to the alley, but they were following me there, too. Before they were on me, I'd grabbed my box, and I was dragging it away toward the street. Luckily, they weren't interested in going beyond the alleyway. They seemed hesitant of entering the street, so I began to walk down the road, trying to find somewhere safe. Every time I passed an alleyway and looked back toward the woods, I could see those animals following me. I could still hear them laughing in the distance. I made my way to the center of town, though it was really, really early in the morning and no one would be awake at the moment. It was my best bet to get away from those things. At the center of town, there is a fountain with some benches around it. I sat there with my box in tow, trying to think of what I was going to do. I sat there all night, shivering in the cold, wondering what my life even was anymore. I needed to find a new place to sleep. I had tried the homeless shelters before, but they were always too competitive to get into. You could wait there for hours, but the bunks would be filled by the time you got in. It wasn't worth the time. Time I could spend finding somewhere better, and then trying to find some food. I decided when the sun came up, I would start looking. Eventually, I found one of the old buildings that had a fire escape at the side. One that was low enough to the ground that I could jump up to it. As stealthily as I could, I climbed up the fire escape, but I had to throw my box in there first, which was a pain, because most of the newspapers fell out. But whatever. Once up there, I walked through the fire escape stairs, and I made it to the roof of the building. It was vacant. There was a structure with a door on it, where the stairway would be. So I decided to prop up my box, my little nest, behind that structure as I would less likely be seen. As I settled in for that night, happy that I'd found something good, I heard something that made my stomach twist into little violent knots. Those things, they must have had my scent or something. I could hear laughing coming from the bottom of the building. I even heard claws scraping at the wall, as if they were trying to jump up, and get into the fire escape. And if they did, I was cornered on a roof, and I would not be able to live through it.
Thankfully, they weren't able to reach the fire escape, and after a few nights of this, I never heard from them again, never saw them again, and I spent the remainder of my homeless life on this roof. No one ever found me. No one came up there, really. And I didn't get a good night's sleep until I finally got myself a job. This experience motivated me more than anything, that once I was off the streets, I would rather die than go back. Sleeping in a graveyard is a bad idea. From Sandy Eric I don't know why I thought sleeping anywhere near a cemetery would be a good idea in the slightest. So I was your typical hobo, slept in a different spot every night, often asked fast food chains for any old food they could give out, tried not to ask for money, and instead would ask for work. I could do odd jobs here and there, though I didn't have any tools, but I could lift if necessary. That was my life, until finally my cousin moved into town and took me in. But during my time as a homeless person, I ended up getting real irritated with other people, particularly with other homeless people. Around those parts, they could get real, well, troublesome. They would try to take any cash or items you'd picked up for themselves. Some of them were opportunists, and they would take any chance they got to get ahead. I had a guy run past me once, took a sandwich basically out of my mouth while I was eating. Those folks wanted to compete instead of work together, and it made it harder for everybody. So for a long time there, I tried my best to find places to sleep that were more alone and distant from people. Of all places, I ended up trying to stay at an old cemetery. This particular cemetery was full. They didn't use it to bury folks anymore. There was a newer cemetery uptown anyway that they used. So I was quite alone staying there. And for the first few nights, I wasn't bothered. Around the fourth night I was there, I then figured out just how bad of an idea it was to sleep in graveyards. I woke up in the middle of the night to see someone standing over me. They were talking to me and nudging me awake. I think they kept saying, you can't stay here. I rubbed my tired eyes and realized that there were actually dozens of people around me. They were... Dressed weird. Dressed in different garbs from seemingly a different time. My very first thought was that I was in some sort of late-night rehearsal of a reenactment or play or something. I started to pick myself up, feeling embarrassed. When things like this happen, and you're homeless, you can't really help but feel called out on your bad place in life. I apologized as I grabbed my pile of clothes and quickly put them back in an old, reused trash bag. I glanced back up and realized some of the people around me, they were sort of transparent. Each one of them was staring at me without blinking, and I noticed that none of them were even breathing. The man who had been nudging me awake then placed his hand on my shoulder, whispering, Best of luck. His hand was colder than ice, I swear to God. 
Quickly getting creeped out, I took my stuff and began to leave, constantly glancing back over my shoulder here and there. And in the matter of a couple of seconds between glances, the people were completely gone. All several dozen of them. Obviously, that didn't make sense. I wasn't that tired, and it was physically impossible. From that night onward, I stopped sleeping in cemeteries. There were much better places to stay, even if I had to deal with real, tangible people who were a pain in my butt, because the last thing I wanted to do was wake the dead. Because if you piss off the dead, who knows what they'll do to you. Then again, that man did wish me good luck after all. Dumpster Diving from New Greg 121 This is a story from my granddad. Before he married and settled down, he was homeless for a time. My granddad was a different kind of guy back then. He had run away from family the moment he turned 16. He didn't like the idea of working for someone, so he didn't want to work. He figured he could live for himself, live naturally, he told himself, but that's not at all what it ended up being like. And he would tell us stories as kids, trying to motivate us, trying to tell us how bad it would be if you ever end up homeless. It didn't so much motivate me as it depressed me. He would explain how, at the worst of times back then, he would have to sleep in the streets and he even ate food out of a dumpster a few times. He did tell me of one unsettling experience he had on a certain occasion, an experience that he claims changed his mindset. It was winter, and he was dumpster diving, trying to find anything he could use. Usually that involved old clothes, cleanish cardboard and clean newspaper, any sort of cloth or sheet, Keeping warm and dry was of the utmost priority if you didn't want to freeze to death. Freezing to death happens a lot to homeless people. When you're inside warm walls, you don't really understand how the elements can destroy a person. My granddad soon began to notice that within the dumpster, there was a large gathering of rats and insects piling up on the same spot. Underneath that pile of nasty... He spotted some cloth clothes, so he picked up some dirty cardboard and began to scrape away at them, trying to get them out of the way so he could get his prize. When he had most of them scraped off, he realized what they were on. He was face to face with a carcass. Those rats and insects were crawling all over and chewing on a man's face. An older man who had been partially eaten. His eyes were gone. Because, as my granddad told me, when you pass on, animals usually go for the soft, tender flesh, and that includes the eyeballs. Yeah, pretty disgusting, I know. Turns out, this person was yet another homeless person, who had taken up refuge in a dumpster trying to keep himself warm. But he passed in the night. My granddad isn't sure if it was disease, starvation, or exposure. He figured he did freeze to death, as it was pretty cold that previous night. Altogether, my granddad wasn't surprised. Still, this encounter horrified him, 
and drove my granddad to do whatever he could to get off the streets and stay off. It took some time and some hard work. He had to take makeshift showers and baths and restrooms at the sink to keep himself clean, and when he did find clean clothes that fit him, he risked life and limb to keep them clean so that he could be interviewed for jobs. Eventually, he landed one. This led to him getting off the streets, and one day he eventually started his own business. He was able to get married, had kids, and those kids had kids that he eventually told his stories to. Stories that definitely worked on me, because I will do whatever it takes not to be homeless. I saw what it did to my granddad, and though that experience did get him off the streets, I'd rather avoid finding a dead guy in a dumpster. If anything, I'm pretty motivated to help out at homeless shelters when I can, because in this country, I don't think we do enough for them. I used to work at an assisted living facility for people with dementia. It was a summer job in the first year of my nursing studies, and let me tell you, they do not pay you enough for that crap. I was very quickly put alone in charge of half a floor, roughly eight old women, all in various stages of different kinds of dementia. Mostly sweet, sometimes temperamental. Meeting them all was pretty much the only positive thing about that job. Otherwise, it was too much work with too little manpower. I think most places like this have their fair share of creepy stories. After all, usually people come there with the full intention of leaving either by ambulance or in a casket. That generates things like this. The great mysticism of death is soon taken away when you work in what is essentially palliative care, but some of it always remains. This place's specialty were the elevators. I was never sure if it was just a joke played to scare the newbies, but these elevators did an inordinate amount of suddenly starting up and stopping at a floor without anyone on them. I suppose one of the other nurses from the other floor could have sent them up, but I really can't see anyone having any free time in that place. From another worker, I heard a story that she had once heard someone get out of the elevator, tell her she was going home, and then get back in the elevator going down. Night shifts were terrible after stories like that, and besides, the place had enough creepy factor for a horror movie or two. There was one lift that creaked its way down into the basement full of little rooms, which we, mostly women under five foot seven, had to check every evening because we had no on-site security. We usually did it in pairs. At night, there would be three nurses in the house, almost one for every floor. One of us had one and a half floors to deal with. Being alone on the floor, which held up to sixteen residents, with decently sized rooms, was not fun. As long as there were things to do, it was alright, but when everyone was sleeping, and tomorrow's meds had been counted, and the breakfast sandwiches had been prepared, it quickly gets uncomfortable. Usually it was just boring, but if your mindset was right, it could be downright terrifying. People with dementia make the weirdest noises in their sleep, too. One night, I was in that mindset. I had just checked the basement alone, 
because a resident on the floor of the nurse who was supposed to be with me was close to death, and she didn't want to leave him alone. I'd counted the meds, prepared most of the sandwiches, done my rounds. It was close to one, and I was in the kitchen finishing the sandwiches. I'd been busy with the resident, so I was a little behind schedule. The resident had wanted to talk late into the night, and I'd indulged her. Her room was odd. It was very homely. She'd been living there for a while. She never turned the lights off because she hated the dark, for one. Then there was the truly unsettling amount of clocks ticking away unevenly all around her, and in the middle of the room on the coffee table, positioned so she could see it from the bed, was a picture of a gravestone. It had her parents' and siblings' names on it, and an empty space for her name. It unnerved me and the other nurses, but it seemed to calm the old woman down. At every hour, one huge grandfather clock in her room would strike. Anyway, I had torn myself away from there to make my rounds. We did them every two hours, and returned to the sandwiches. I was standing in the kitchen minding my own business when I heard the lift doors open. I turned, thinking the other two nurses had come down to get coffee with me, and was met with only an empty lift. I confess my heart skipped a beat right then and there. I hated those elevators with a passion, and had never yet had one do that to me when I was alone. It was one thing to have it stop and then to be able to joke about it with the residents, and quite another thing to just be treated to the quiet slide of the opening doors and the emptiness inside. Not to mention, I knew that the gentleman downstairs was dying. To put myself at ease, I called the other nurse and asked her how he was doing. Fine, was the answer. Nothing was different. I berated myself for being dumb, thanked her, and went back to slapping ham and cheese on those sandwiches. I was just beginning to relax when I heard the grandfather clock start striking one. I didn't pay much mind to it, until it just would not stop at all. When it had been a full five minutes, I once again abandoned the sandwiches and headed over to the room, where I knew the sound was coming from. I prepared myself to start figuring out how to fix it. But once I was there and saw the clock, I realized it stopped striking. The old woman was on her bed, fast asleep. By then, I was well and truly creeped out. I hightailed it out of there. The worst thing was that the sound of the clock began fading back in as soon as the clock was out of view. I hid in the well-lit office until the third nurse came down to have some coffee and a salad. By then, mercifully, the sound had stopped, but the silence wasn't much better. Sometime into our coffee break, the second nurse came in and delivered the news, news that I'd been dreading. The resident had died a little past one, around the same time that clock had struck. This is the first time anything like this has ever happened to me, and I hope it will be the last, but I doubt it. There's something about death, or the spirit of life, that we don't fully understand, and if you work around dying people, these things may happen to you. Paranormal at my work. From Anonymous.
I'm 19, and I've worked for the lumber plant in the next town over in East Texas for about a year now. I work the third shift, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on weekends, and 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. on weekdays. I always get an unnerved feeling at night. It started after my training was finished. I have to do rounds inside the plant every so often during the weekend, and once at 3 a.m. on weekdays. I was out one Friday night, doing my round as I always had, when I felt as if I wasn't alone, felt like someone was watching me, and whoever they were, I couldn't see them. And that's when it started. I heard a loud slam on the bottom of the vehicle I used for my rounds. It was so sudden and so loud that I literally screamed at first. I tried to speed out of there as fast as I could. Whatever it was started hitting the top of the car after that. I either lost it or it got bored with me, but it stopped messing with me for the night after I sped away. When I got to the upstairs portion, I started feeling like I was being followed again. I kept hearing someone walking behind me with wooden boards creaking and groaning. I turned to see what it was, but of course I saw nothing. Thinking it was my imagination, I turned around and ventured further into the mill. That's when I got flashes of images of a man who had been burned beyond recognition, a few patches of skin intact, a small patch of black hair, sunken eye sockets without eyelids. I couldn't see a nose, and it had a gap where its lips used to be, with holes in his cheeks. When I saw him, my heart started thudding in my chest. There are cameras in the upstairs part, so I couldn't exactly run in terror without being questioned, so I acted calm and started walking again. I'd heard that spirits can't physically harm you, so I tried to push it out of my mind and kept saying to myself that it was just my imagination. Well, how wrong I was. I began hearing creaking and groaning again, followed by footsteps behind me. I speed-walked to the stairs leading to the ground, and that's when I heard a deafening crash. I spun around but didn't see anything, so I ran down the two flights of metal stairs till my feet touched the concrete beneath the mill. I didn't stop running until I was in the cart and on my way to the next key. The next key was near an old building they don't use anymore. I'd heard that there was something that stands at the back of the long porch in the shadows that liked to stare at you. So I was told how to park where the porch is illuminated by the LED light on the front of the cart. I always feel watched when I'm over there, so I keep my eyes on the part where it's said to be. But I've never seen it. Not until that night. This happened on a Saturday, so I didn't really have a set time to do my round. I left out at 2 a.m., I got to the old abandoned office building, and I kept my eyes on the back part of the porch. That was a horrible mistake. I eyed over to make sure it was undisturbed, and turned to go back to the cart. For some reason, I looked down, but I'm glad I did because nothing could prepare me for what I saw on the other side of the railing. It resembled an old man in what I imagined a goblin would look like. It was a sickly gray color and hunched down like it was hiding. Its neck was bent to where its face was looking straight up at me 
It had this toothy smile on its face. I looked down to where my legs were, and I saw its scraggly hands attempt to wrap its arms around my legs. I proceeded to run as fast as I could to the cart, getting the heck out of Dodge. That was the last time I saw the Burning Man and that goblin, but their images are burned into my head, probably for the rest of my life. I currently work there still, where I always feel watched, and to those of you who say that the paranormal isn't real, or that these two of many other encounters are simply fictional, I dare you to spend a week in my shoes. At the end of the week, I'm sure you'd be a believer as well. They Can Stop Time From Username Redacted I'm 24 years old, and I work in a popular English restaurant. It was recently hit by a bizarre event. That day started pretty normal. I clocked in for my shift, changed into my uniform, and started doing some work at the computer. Work that I was supposed to do over the weekend, but I never got to it. I worked for two hours straight, but then something happened. The mouse and monitor froze. I tried unplugging and plugging them back in, but that didn't work. I tried turning the whole thing on and off, both on the tower and at the wall, but it remained on. Eventually, I figured I'd have to go tell my boss the computer crashed, and though it kind of freaked me out that the monitor and mouse remained on, even though I'd unplugged everything. I left the office and headed for the restaurant floor. That was where I saw her last. I opened the door to the restaurant and stopped. According to the clock in our office, it was 12.01, meaning that the lunch rush should be in full swing, as the majority of customers arrived between 11.55 and 12 o'clock. As expected, the restaurant was filled with customers, but no one was moving. When I say that no one was moving, I don't mean to say that everyone just was staying in one spot. I mean no one was moving. At all. They were all playing musical statues, and someone had stopped the music. Except, why would they be doing this? It made no sense. As I slowly walked through the seemingly motionless restaurant, I bumped into someone. Turning around, I saw that it was my boss, frozen in the middle of looking at her watch, which, like the clock on the wall, also read 12.01. To fully confirm my suspicions, I grabbed the arm of a woman, frozen with a spoonful of soup halfway to her lips, and saw that her watch also said 12.01. Scanning the entire restaurant, it did not take a genius to figure out that every watch or clock or timepiece displayed the exact same moment in time. To say that I was at a loss was an understatement. I mean, the first thought going through my head was that this paralysis was the result of food poisoning or gas inhalation, but that theory went out the window once I began seeing things. Things that I was sure were beyond the fire brigade and ambulance services jurisdiction. On the table next to the soup woman sat a couple. The man was frozen in the middle of cutting a steak, and the woman, maybe his wife, fiancé, girlfriend, whatever, 
She was frozen in the middle of pouring water into her glass. The weird thing about this was that the water had stopped moving as well, frozen in between the jug and the glass. Near the kitchen, one of my colleagues, Maisie, had frozen in the middle of lighting some candles for a couple out on a date. The flames on the candles and the match held in Maisie's hand stood rigid, like soldiers on parade, and a table occupied by a family, the boy had frozen with his head back and his mouth open. Looking up, I saw a single pea, suspended in midair, like it was attached to a piece of string. I was just coming out of the kitchen, having checked on the staff in the kitchen, when I heard the front doorbell sound. Curious as to who was seemingly unaffected by this strange phenomenon, I peeked around the corner and had to stifle a gasp. Standing in the entryway were two things. Upon first glance, they could be mistaken for humans, but looking closer, they weren't. For starters, they were two feet taller than everyone else in the restaurant. Their skin was so tight, it looked like their ribs would burst out of their bodies. It was their eyes that really made me feel uncomfortable. They were thin, narrow slits, black as ink, as if there was nothing within them. They looked around at the frozen staff and customers, then made a sort of low, rasping sound. Call me crazy, but I think they found the sight funny. As I watched, they split and began to flank the frozen people, getting close to them, sniffing their hair, skin, and clothes, prodding them with their long, bony fingers. What they did next really took me by surprise. To my horror, I watched as one of them stopped next to the soup woman and sniffed her, and then sniffed her soup and made that strange rasping sound again, before picking up the soup bowl and placing it upside down on the woman's head. I honestly didn't know what to do, besides standing still. I figured these creatures were likely behind everyone being frozen, too, and I had no idea what they'd do to me if they found out that I was still moving. So I simply watched. I watched as they moved the woman with the water, placing her arm in such a way that she was pouring the water on her head. Then they blew at the candles and match Maisie was holding, setting them up to blow out as soon as time restarted. I watched one of them part a couple who had been frozen as they were about to kiss. It took all my strength not to cringe as it began to place its mouth over the man's mouth, imitating some sort of disgusting kiss. The creature went up to a woman then, who'd frozen mid-sneeze, but the creature didn't mind. What it did next makes me shudder. It placed its mouth over her nose and began to devour whatever was inside. Mucus, of course. The woman was lucky that she had no idea what was happening to her. The creature's next target was my boss. One of them examined the collection of pens and pencils she kept in her top pocket, while the other examined her trousers. I watched as the first creature plucked a black sharpie from out of her pocket, began to rasp again. 
as I continued to watch, not even daring to blink in case they saw me. The creature popped the lid off the sharpie, sniffing it, and then finding out what the object did by running it over my boss's face, leaving a big black trail. Seemingly satisfied, it then placed the sharpie in my boss's hand, stepping back and taking in the scenery. It had apparently loosened her trousers, setting her up for some embarrassment. Whilst I'd been watching them, I failed to realize that they'd gone through most of the restaurant, which meant it was my turn. The creatures turned toward me, pacing around me. I was using every ounce of strength I had not to move, not to give myself away. Seeing as they thought I was frozen like everyone else, I realized I was going to have to let them do what they liked with me. I held my breath and kept as motionless as possible. It was extremely difficult to just not move my pupils. They placed food on me, turning my clean garb into a mess of a get-up. Once everyone in the restaurant had been vandalized in some way, the creatures finally left, and I waited a few seconds before I dared to move and started sorting myself out. No sooner had I wiped as much of the cream off my head as possible, everyone in the restaurant suddenly started up again. I think it's fair to say the restaurant immediately broke out into chaos. The lady with the water screamed as water cascaded onto her head. The soup woman was about to put the spoon in her mouth when her pea soup landed all over her. Maisie sighed as the candles and the match went out, and the kissing couple gagged as they began to feel the effects of the beast's saliva, and the woman who'd been sneezing continued before pulling at her nose, sniffing hard. My boss, pulling up her trousers, did not see her own predicament, with the sharpie on her face, but due to the chaos around her, no one else seemed to care either. It's been a couple of days since this, and so far things have been normal. My boss managed to smooth things out with the customers, and I haven't seen anything weird for a while. Time definitely hasn't stopped again. Well, as far as I know. The following story was labeled a creepypasta. They found something buried underneath. From M. Jean Romeo. I've been working at my local university for a little under a year now. A few months back, we moved out of our old office building onto the fifth floor of another. The purpose of the move was to allow builders to begin work on demolishing our old building along with three other buildings on the campus. This was a part of the university's redevelopment plan, ahead of this Cultural City Award they are nominated for and could possibly win in 2021. I didn't know there was such a thing either, until I started working there. Anyway, by the time we moved, they had already started work on one of the older buildings. It used to house what was called the School of Life Sciences, that had been left vacant even before I started working there. Looking out the window of our new office, I have a clear view of the demolition site. One weekend, they closed off the road to start bringing down the building. So when I came back into work the following Monday, I was surprised to see that they had just demolished the middle section of the building. It looked pretty funny, actually. 
as though someone had split the building down the middle and the two halves had started to drift away from each other. It wasn't long after that that I began to hear rumors. One lunchtime I had been set in our communal kitchen canteen area, just eating my lunch and messing around on my phone as I do every lunchtime. I caught snippets of a conversation some of my work colleagues were having a couple of tables away. I craned my ear closer trying to listen. Apparently, builders had uncovered bones buried a couple of feet down beneath the ground of the demolition site. That, in and of itself, was a creepy discovery. But for whatever reason, the university had decided to keep the news under wraps. Or so at least the stern-looking, slightly older of the two claimed. The other woman, a rather meek-looking person with a round face that had belied her age, was listening to the other's story with rapt attention. The older of the two continued, and explained that she started to ask around campus to find out more. Supposedly, a couple of the university's science professors had been called onto the scene, and had been asked to look at the remains. They believed the bones were of five people, possibly two women and three children. It was at this point in her story that both of the women suddenly turned to look at me. I had drifted closer still to their table without realizing it. They both frowned at me, gathered up their things, and bustled out of the room. I watched them retreat with the frown of my own, but soon I dismissed it. Workplaces are known for being rumor mills, after all, so I didn't really put much stock in the gossip of two middle-aged women. As the weeks passed, the rumors continued. Even my own manager was fascinated by the discovery and started coming up with her own theories. Something she mentioned, though, did grab my attention, and I asked her to further explain. Around fifty years ago, and importantly in the middle of the life sciences building being constructed, there were stories in the local news of a cult that had come to the city. The papers warned not to associate or get involved with them, as they were believed to be Satanists. It was also while the cult resided in the city that there were a string of disappearances. Young men and women going out to meet their friends one evening and never returning. Young children being snatched on their way home from school. Eventually, the building construction finished, and with it all traces of the cult vanished, and no one else disappeared. Though sadly, they never managed to find all those missing people. I was fascinated by this tale, and when I got home that night, I did my own research about the city. In the year that the cult lived in the city, thirty people went missing, all traces of them apparently gone. Many people claimed to have seen members of the cult camping out in the local wooded areas, where they could be found dressed in dark robes and dancing around a burning fire. Some said it was all made up, that there was no cult at all, but none could explain the disappearances. As the years had passed, it seemed the city had all but forgotten about this time until now. The demolition of the remainder of the building continues, and I often find myself watching the workmen from my office window. Every now and then I get this strange feeling in the pit of my stomach, as though I'm not the only person doing the watching. As I look out the window and train my eyes on the building, I could swear someone is looking back at me. I wish I could say this is where the story ends, but it's not. In the last three weeks, two students have gone missing, 
Supposedly, there were two friends who thought it would be funny to sneak into the demolition site at night to see if they could find any bones or spirits. They took a larger group of friends with them, who waited outside of the restriction zone as the two boys climbed over the barrier. As the other waited, around ten minutes passed, and they all grew worried. Just as another boy was about to go over the barrier to check if his friends were okay, they all heard an inhuman scream and the sound of rubble falling. The rest of the group ran away scared, and only thought to call the police once they were a good distance away. Both boys had been crushed by a crumbling support beam they had walked under. The tragedy was deemed an accident, the result of two reckless young men. The university was closed for a few days. After that, out of respect for the two boys who had lost their lives, when it reopened, you could see the unease on everyone's faces. We're all trying to just continue on with our lives, but I can't help but wonder, was the beam falling really an accident, or have we somehow unearthed some vengeful spirits? I mean, no one really knows who those bones belong to. And one other thought keeps lurking at the back of my mind. One I try not to think about too much. Maybe, just maybe... That cult from 50 years ago has come back for round two. Welp, it's time for me to clock out. Here's to hoping the drive home from work isn't full of ghosts and ghouls and two-meter-tall kangaroos more ripped than prime Dwayne Johnson. I mean, the last thing I need after a long day of work is to have my shiz kicked in by one big bouncy boy. If you think I'm joking, just take a look at Australia. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own story, I'm looking for stories about Canadian monster sightings. Share them with us at darkstories.org. If you want to support the show, check out my merch store and Patreon in the description. Well, that may be all for these stories, but more are on the way. So stay tuned for the next episode. Until then, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate and support the show. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. The following story contains disturbing scenes concerning animals and pets. If this is outside your comfort zone, click away. I used to go jogging in front of my house. You could say I was just uncomfortable running too far from home. You see, I preferred to run around dark, but we lived in the pseudo-suburbs and we didn't have a streetlight anywhere close. And by pseudo-suburb, I mean miles of rolling hills and forest on the tail end of interspersed houses. Past our house, there ain't nothing for miles. Nothing but trees, that is. 
You can call me cowardly. You could even call me superstitious or afraid of the dark. But I wasn't about to stray too far from the lights of our front porch at night. So the twenty meters from our mailbox to the cable box on the side of the road became my track. Back and forth. Run a few minutes, walk several, repeat. This kept me in shape, feeling good, and gave me a chance to catch up with all my podcasts that I listened to, thanks to the wireless earbuds my wife had gotten me for my birthday. These earbuds even had sound pass-through. It wasn't perfect, but I could hear a muffled version of the sounds around me, even while listening to my music or podcasts. It was good stuff. But all of this added to the horrific reason I don't go jogging anymore. It started last year when winter was beginning to give way to spring. The ground was constantly wet, caking the bottoms of my joggers with mud as I bounded, out of breath, up and down the unpaved road. I was getting winded sooner than usual that night, probably due to eating too much at dinner earlier. This meant I should probably do a few more back and forths than call it a night. As I approached the cable box again and began to turn on my heel to walk back to the mailbox, I caught a distinct sound through my earbud pass-through that I nearly shrugged off as the peripherals causing distortion or warping some mundane noise around me into this eerie resonance. I paused. It was already troubling enough to turn my back on the dark, meandering road beyond, but this sound immediately increased my heart rate, even though I had no idea what it was or where it was coming from. Convincing myself that it was just some sort of breakage from the hit-or-miss pass-through, I stepped forward, but then I paused once more. The sound came again, a low rumbling enveloped in static. At this, I pulled the earbuds from my head and scanned my surroundings. I couldn't see much. Human eyes are terrible for seeing in the dark, and the nearby porch light kept them from adapting completely to the blackness around me. But my ears heard it clearly. The static within the noise was gone now that my earbuds weren't in. It was a low, rumbling sound, an odd frequency that made my ribs vibrate with it. I had turned around completely then, now facing the dark, winding road past the cable box. But looking along the road was my mistake, as the noise was coming from the trees. Coming from above me, actually. My eyes scoured the branches to the left and to the right some hanging over the road, others daring not reach too far. When I found myself staring into two congruent stars in the cloudy night sky, I knew that I was not alone. Those weren't stars, they were eyes. Sitting upon a short, thick branch of an ancient oak tree was a figure which itself reminded me of trees and branches sharp, angular bits protruding from it. It was nothing more than a silhouette and eyes from my perspective, though, but I could hear the rumbling coming from it, and I could see the twinkle of its eyes fade in and out as it blinked. 
It was something alive, something large, something bizarrely shaped. I backed away, carefully guiding myself back to the driveway without looking away from the entity. But halfway back, the rumbling stopped and the starlight eyes looked away at last. Had I intruded on its space? I'd walked this road a hundred times before, but I'd never witnessed such a thing. This was my space, my territory. Yet there I stood, trembling and still walking backward in my own driveway, terrified and baffled. Back inside, I peeled the sweaty shirt from myself and quickly shared the experience with my wife. How big was it? was her first question. Well, I didn't have the greatest view of the thing, I admitted. But it reminded me of a crouched man, if they were wearing a ghillie suit. Hmm. She thought for a moment. Probably a possum. Maybe it looked weird because its silhouette overlapped some branches and foliage. Made it look bigger. She'd always been a voice of reason, and though I didn't like the idea of her just disbelieving me before anything else, I did find comfort in the idea that what I saw was completely natural, explainable, or benign. The following morning, as I had the day off, I went for a morning jog. I would be running up that meandering road thanks to the bravery afforded me by daylight. But before I took off, I wanted to investigate the spot where I'd seen that supposed possum. It wasn't hard to find, though. There was, under the branch I'd seen it, a great red splatter and tufts of matted gray-brown fur. Judging from the remains I'd found in the leaves nearby, it appeared to be someone's dog, perhaps a German or Dutch shepherd. I ran back inside the house, my wife was at work at the time, but she had a DSLR camera with a lens that had some amazing optical zoom. After finding it, I ran back outside, careful not to step in that mess. I peered through the camera up at the branch where that thing had been sitting. I swallowed hard. There were red stains on the bark, as well as deep holes gouged into the branch. Even if a possum could devour a German shepherd, I was sure that they didn't have talons so big and they could stab deep eyeball-sized holes into wood. After taking some pictures to show my wife, I placed the camera back inside and went the opposite direction for my morning run. I didn't like jogging where my neighbors were, but at least it felt safer. When I had told my wife and showed her the pictures, she then believed it was some kind of mountain lion, which I was then convinced of too. A couple of nights later, I felt courageous enough for another just-after-sundown jog. Back and forth I went again, getting my heart rate up in a jiffy as I felt in a good mood to run. My earbuds were in, the air was almost warm, and the ground was dry. It was nearly a perfect night for it. As I was listening to a new podcast I'd discovered, an episodic serial killer series of all things, 
I suddenly felt my chest vibrating. The tickling sensation immediately sent me into a panic. I only realized then that my pass-through was turned off. I then remembered that I reset the earbud application recently, causing my settings to reset as well. I stopped in my tracks and yanked out the earbuds. I looked instinctively to that branch. But I did not see eyes or a silhouette this time. Nothing out of place over there. When my chest vibrated again, I now heard the sound that caused it. Instead of a rumbling, it sounded like a low growl. A dog's growl. Searching the forest floor around the road, I soon saw Eyeshine. It was, in fact, a dog, a German shepherd, and immediately I wanted to vomit. It was peering from around a nearby tree. Its eyes were completely motionless, lifeless, never blinking. And worst of all, its jaw seemed far too slack and open, sickeningly loose as if it was broken or lodged out of place. Even still, it seemed to shift or pulsate as it growled intermittently. I didn't want to believe what I was looking at. It looked exactly like some sick freak was using a dog's head to taunt me from behind that tree. But the sound that was coming from there, it wasn't human, not even close, and I could vaguely make out sharp claws holding on to the bottom of the poor dog's skull. It wasn't human, and it wasn't taunting me either, it was luring me. It wanted me in those woods, and all I wanted was to stay inside for the rest of my life. I didn't hesitate. I took off back to my house in a full sprint. The moment I looked back during my run, that one moment when I couldn't help but want to know if I was being chased then, a blunt pain shot over my face as a sickening wet slap reverberated around me. I wiped the fluid from my watering eyes and held my nose as it felt broken. Then I nearly tripped. The dog's head was below me. That creature had thrown a dog's severed head at me. As I stood there, stunned and injured, I nearly didn't hear the rapid quadrupedal footsteps racing towards me from behind as well as deep, raspy panting. Panting that caused my ribs to vibrate. I tried to scream as I carried myself up the slight hill to my front door, and the moment I shut that door, a violent clawing could be heard from just outside. The rumbling erupted again, too, causing my chest to vibrate more violently than ever. It no longer tickled or felt strange. It hurt, causing me to scream. My wife watched in shock, too scared to ask any questions. After the sounds died down, I sat on the couch for the remainder of the night, holding my wife close after she helped me with my broken nose. After this incident, my wife and I are looking into moving quite seriously. This was our first home purchase a place I thought we'd grow old in. I can't tell you how awful this feeling is, 
being driven from your home by something you can't explain, being so horrified and dominated by something outside of your control and understanding, something no one else believes. I don't know if there's more than one of them, but if you see the signs, stay indoors at night. When dogs go missing or are killed in your neighborhood, when you see the starry eyes in the trees, when there are deep gouges in the tree branches, move. Canada is as friendly as it is cold, but lurking within the vast swaths of green forests and snowy landscapes lie creatures that defy explanation. Creatures with a taste for blood and maple syrup. Get ready. These stories are chilling and terrifying. Enjoy these tales of people who have encountered bizarre Canadian monsters. If you have a story of your own, I'd love to narrate it. Share it with us at darkstories.org. I'm looking for scary stories from Africa. Now, let's begin. Something Tried to Destroy Me From Freddy Aluminum I'm an Australian guy living in British Columbia, Canada. I moved in October of 2019 just to have a bit of an adventure. I had never seen snow before, so I had been looking forward to this up-and-coming season all year. I now work for a ski resort in the middle of nowhere. Well, nowhere as far as you're concerned. I won't say where, but the mountains are giant and gorgeous, covered in snow-dusted trees for months on end and beyond cold. It was completely different to the heat of southeast Queensland. The snow can get up to six feet deep here on occasion, so I've had to learn all the rules most Canadians have imprinted on them since birth. Don't walk under icicles. Don't walk home drunk. Don't leave trash out. Etc. The colder parts of Canada can be really dangerous, but I never once expected I would have such a horrifying encounter with something that I cannot explain. It was only a few days back. It had just snowed very heavily the night before. I'm talking 70 to 80 centimeters on top of the fresh snow already on the ground. If you don't know what that's like, it's scary. You can walk right up to second-story windows in some cases. These are serious amounts of snow. I had been drinking that day with some buddies in the village when I decided to turn in for the night. Must have been minus 17 degrees Celsius outside, but I was so drunk I barely felt the wind and breeze at all. To get home, I have to walk through a small woodland area for about 15 minutes, very dense with trees. It is super dark even in daylight, so at night, I had to use my phone torch, and I was stumbling through the knee-deep snow coating the small walking track. I could only see a few feet in front of me, 
and I could only see the outlines of the surrounding trees. I was ten minutes in when I stopped, hearing something. I strained my ears to listen more closely. It sounded like a little girl saying help. It was a soft and fearful voice, somewhere off in the trees to my right. I called back with a hello, pointing my phone torch in the direction of the soft voice. Who's there? I called out. Please, help me. The voice whined. I've hurt my legs. A sound of choking back tears is faintly heard. Now I've seen enough movies and read enough stories to know that following voices into the trees was a bad idea. But there was something about this voice. It sounded so genuine, so frightened, as if a little girl was just outside the range of my vision, freezing to death in the snow. So of course I don't stand and do nothing. I call out again. Hey, uh, can you walk? Where are you? I can come get you. I began turning around in the snow, plowing closer to the edge of the walking track, torch searching through the wall of tall pine trees. I keep edging when I spot a small figure, just close enough to see her silhouette. She was peeking out from behind a nearby pine tree. Hey, don't be afraid. I spoke to her softly, bending down closer. Suddenly, my eyes met hers, and immediately I realized something wasn't right. Now, they weren't glowing or anything like that, but I can't quite explain it well. Her eyes were milky, like spider's eyes, like they were alive, but they had nothing within them. They seemed soulless. I leaned in closer to the base of the pine tree, maybe three meters away from me, when suddenly I got too close. I fell face first into the snow. Those of you who spend time in places that have heavy snow probably know what happened. I forgot the most important rule of all, plunging headfirst into the deepest tree well I had ever seen. I was immediately engulfed in a powder snow, tipped further upside down. As I slipped in deeply, I could hear a high-pitched cackle of a female voice. I tried to breathe and scream, but snow forced itself into my mouth. I began to choke and writhe. I was panicking trying to spin around and find my bearings, kicking out and finding something to grab. As I freaked out, I felt myself slip further down, only making my emotions worse. The snow collapsed around me, making a dense compact, holding my feet above my head and making it harder to move. I was still choking on snow. My head was pounding from all the blood being pulled downwards. A scary thought kept going through my mind, that this might be the end of my story. I knew I wasn't getting out of this one. My vision began to blur, and my movements became more and more sapping, when all of a sudden I felt a hand grab me by my jacket, wrenching me out of there and into freedom. I gasped in the crisp alpine and heaved on the ground tears streaming down my face. I looked up and saw one of my mates, Frazier, breathing heavily. 
Turns out he had seen me fall into the snow, sprinting 30 meters in deep powder to help me back out. This man had saved my life. As I pulled my mess of a self back together, he asked me what the bloody hell I was thinking, walking into the wilderness in the middle of the night drunk. But I had to tell him about the girl first. I tried to point out where she had been standing. But she wasn't anywhere to be seen. What's more, there weren't any tracks at all in the snow, leading away from the pine tree. Just the mere hole that I'd made. I don't know what she was, that inhuman little girl, but it tried to have me drowned. If it wasn't for my mate, I sure would have been dead. I hope one day I can get over this experience, but for now, it seems I have dreams of her often. Dreams of what would have happened if Fraser was only a few minutes late. What was she? If you have an answer, I'd love to know. North Saskatchewan River Creature From Succulent.Coral I'm from a very small town in Saskatchewan, Canada. I've lived here all my life, and I've never seen anything too abnormal until this year. It was only after hearing that you were looking for Canadian stories that I decided to finally speak up about my experiences. Almost every weekend, my friend Erica and I always go to the ski hill near here and work on our snowboarding skills. We usually go around 2 p.m., so we have about two hours to snowboard before it gets too dark and cold out, since the sun usually sets around 4 here in the winter. A couple of months ago, we were doing this very thing and had a good day. The ski hill is about an hour from our town, so by the time we had finished, which was about 3.45 p.m., it was starting to get dim. We hopped into my little car and started to drive back. About 45 minutes later, we were getting close to home, and it was already pretty dark outside. Our town is kind of in the middle of nowhere, and everyone in Canada knows Saskatchewan is very barren and flat, so it was a very vast, remote area, and no one was on the highway. The roads were bad that night, due to fast winds, so we had to slow down a lot on the highway, which was giving both of us anxiety. The two of us were seventeen, and have never gotten into an accident before, nor had we ever wanted to, of course. At one point, there was a very snowy part of the vacant highway, and we had to slow down even more. That's when a figure leapt out onto the road, and stopped just at the edge of my headlight's reach. Erica screamed, and I gasped, holding my breath as I slammed onto the brakes. This caused us to fishtail. I barely managed to regain control of the vehicle, but we came to a stop just in front of the figure. I immediately looked at it, and at first glance I truly thought it was just a deer. But as I took in more detail, it looked all wrong. It was massive. I've seen deer around here many times before, too many to count, and I live in a hunting community, so I just knew this wasn't any normal deer from around here. It had long limbs, and its antlers were huge, but not only were its limbs long, they were just so disfigured 
It seemed painful. It's hard to explain, but it just looked injured. I wasn't sure how it leapt in front of us with ease and grace like it had. And like any normal deer around here would do at the sight of the vehicle, I expected the thing to run back into the ditch or something. But it just stood there, not moving a muscle. Everything about the situation felt so wrong, and yes, I know deer can be captivated in headlights and not move. But this creature, it showed no signs of fear. It didn't even look to be breathing. It simply stared at us with cold, unblinking eyes. Its whole presence just felt evil, life-threatening even. Its bones were jutting out from everywhere under its skin. Some parts even looked to be decayed. Erica and I didn't say a word. We couldn't look away from it. After what seemed like a few minutes, it just walked off. Not running or frolicking, it just walked calmly, back into the ditch in the opposite direction it had come from. It then disappeared on the other side of the transcan. The two of us exchanged shaky looks, and she was the first to say a word at all. What the hell was that? She said. But I didn't really know what to tell her. We talked about it on the rest of the way home, and decided maybe it was just a weird, intense, injured deer, definitely a first around here. Both of us do believe that some cryptids exist, but I think it was for our own sanity that we explained this away somehow, you know? I thought that would be it, thought that I'd never see it again. Unfortunately, I was wrong. About a week ago, my dad and I were playing around and exploring on our skidoos just up by the North Saskatchewan River, and we had just gotten down to the bank to see if the ice was thick enough to ride on. My dad drove his skidoo down first to test it, and soon came back up onto the bank to ask if I wanted to try the ice. I refused, since I was still very new to this, and I didn't want to try it yet. He agreed, and we decided to go along the bank more, exploring a bit further. We soon came to some thicker trees and pines, when we began to smell something a little off. It wasn't very powerful, but it also just smelled really bad. It was clearly something rotting, but we were in a snowy area, where everything was supposed to smell clean. My dad went a little further ahead than me, and I thought maybe it was just a skunk, something normal. I went on ahead after him, following my dad's tracks, watching the trees a bit, and that's when I saw it again, that same creature walking in the same direction I was headed. It was pretty far back in the trees, but you could still tell how massive it was from that distance. All the features from the two months before were still present, if not a little more, worsened. It didn't do anything but walk, fading into the deep and thicker trees, in a weird, waddle sort of fashion, and I haven't seen it since. Erica and I have told our closest friends about this, and I don't think they believe us, but I really want to know what it is. I do know a basic amount of things about cryptids, 
But maybe this is some kind of normal or mutant deer or something. Uh, who knows? Even if there's a normal explanation, it's terrifying. I've no idea if I should be concerned, or just continue to try to tell myself it's a weird mutated deer, as if that makes me feel any better. Three in the morning, from Descendant from a Family of Shaman. I'm from the northwest of Ontario, Canada. My reserve is called Kachinamakusip Aninawak, also known as People by the Lake in our native language. It is said we are the third largest community up north of Ontario. That being said, we have different areas, such as downtown and West Bay. Both are on the island and the land is connected by a long stretched road. Across that is the creek and mainland area. I lived in West Bay at the time, coming back from town. I had finished visiting with friends earlier in the night. I was ready to get home. I left their house in town around 2.30. By the time I arrived at the main road intersection, it was about 3. There's a main road that goes around the reservation, and there are roads connecting to it the first of which is called Chiefsfield Road. Now, the entire time I'd been walking, I had not seen another person out, nor had I seen a vehicle on the road, for that matter. As I was passing Chiefsfield Road, I felt a sensation in my gut, like someone was watching me. Sure enough, when I glanced up that road, I saw a figure wearing a dark black hood. They seemed to be staring in my direction, I was feeling friendly, so I called out to them. Hey, you got a smoke? I was having a craving. I did not receive a response, so I continued walking. But I paid close attention to the sounds around me, making sure I knew whether that person was about to move. Sure enough, as I walked on, I could hear them walking after me, quickly and stumbling, like they were drunk and were looking for a fight. I stopped at the bottom of the road and glanced back. That figure seemed to be following me. I turned to continue walking, and sure enough, the footsteps only got faster, catching up to me. I stopped on three more occasions, and after a time, when I glanced back, it stopped. We both stood there, seemingly staring at each other. I got mad and swore at the figure, threatening to fight if they didn't stop. But it was then that I saw its face. There was just enough light to make out that its skin was all black, like solid nighttime black. I wanted to speak again, but it spoke instead, saying the same threats to me in the same manner and same voice. It walked a little bit closer, soon revealing more of itself from a nearby light. It was like I was looking in a mirror, its face was like mine, but completely black. What I was looking at wasn't actually human. I was certain of it. It was some sort of spirit or creature, something evil. I took off towards some streetlights. I made it maybe ten feet in the middle of the lights, and I stopped to look back to see if this thing would follow me, but it just stood there at the edge. I called out, asking it what it was, telling it to come into the light. I needed to see more of it. 
I needed to see if I could understand what it was. I stepped backward, further into the lights. But it did as well, which meant it was moving further away. And as it moved, I saw it smile, revealing white, sharp, abnormal-looking teeth, before disappearing into the dark. I didn't know what to do or say then, but I was so shocked and creeped out that I ran. I was already out of energy, but I ran anyway. My grandma's house was closer to anyone else's that I knew of, but her place was still about five houses down. Adrenaline kicked in, and after looking back one more time and seeing nothing, I started to run. But then, I heard the sound of flapping wings above me. Something massive was just overhead, following me, just as that figure did before, and I couldn't help but think that they were one and the same. By the time I made it to my grandma's driveway, I was exhausted, stopping my heavy feet up the pavement. Eventually, my scared grandma opened the door after I was knocking like a madman. When she saw me, she was relieved for a moment. I think she assumed I was on something. Yet, sadly, I was completely sober. I let her know what happened, that something scary and unexplainable was following me. She let me in as I explained. As we sat in her living room, discussing what was going on, we suddenly stopped because someone walked up the front steps of her porch. They stopped at the door, but never knocked, never rang the doorbell. They simply stood there, probably listening. After a while, we just turned on the TV, using the noise and the images to distract us. Plus, deep down, I didn't want it to know that I knew it was there. The next day, my grandma called my mother and told them to never let me out too late again, and to avoid letting me out by myself whenever possible. To this day, I still don't know what or how all that happened. Whatever it was truly wasn't human, and I think it tried to take me. The Thing That Chased Us from V. This happened in Ontario, Canada, to my friends and I. When my friends and I were in grade 9, we used to go into a forest next to our old elementary school to hang out. We would dirt bike, build forts, play card games, drink and climb trees. The usual teenage stuff. The day this happened, we were climbing trees, seeing how far we dared to climb up the dead trees, then jump down, all while praying that we didn't break our necks. Yeah, we were weird, even reckless. One of my braver friends, C, decided it would be a smart idea to climb up a dead tree that was leaning against another tree, to see if he could get to the top. My other friend, Leon, and I decided that we did not have a death wish like he did, so we stayed perched on another dead tree watching our idiot friend. Now, I want to say that I've always gotten these strange feelings about things. I practice Wicca, and I'm personally a witch of Draconic Wicca, but the point is I get these feelings. They are like warnings when something is about to happen, when something supernatural is nearby, when we're in danger. Call it a sixth sense. 
I'm the firstborn female of a firstborn female, and so on. I'm the seventh firstborn female in the generation, which makes for a very female-dominated family tree. But we believe seven is a powerful number, similar to the number six in Christianity. The seventh witch, which is myself, has the strongest connection to the supernatural on par with the first witch who started the generation, my really great-grandmother. I'm called a high priestess, the reincarnation of my grandmother's mother, which only makes these feelings stronger and more absolute. Now, I know everything I just explained doesn't sound real. As fake as witches who fly on broomsticks and crowd around a black cauldron saying bubble bubble toil and trouble is, I didn't believe it at first either. Anyway, while C was climbing further up the tree, one of these feelings came over me like someone brushing a feather down my back. It was telling me that my friends and I were in danger. Which was odd. It was when I was pondering the strangeness of my feeling, C disappeared into the canopy of the tree, and Leon and I lost sight of him. V, I remember Leon saying to me, something's not right. The air is stale, the birds are quiet, something feels wrong. It took me a minute, but he was right. There was a sinking feeling in my stomach as I looked around. Everything was still. Then that feeling against my back returned, followed by a tingling sensation against my pocket. To my relief, it wasn't a claw trying to get at my wallet, it was just my phone. As every impulsive teenager who lives off their device does, I pulled out my phone, saw that it was a message, and opened it. It was from my Wiccan friend, Red, and it simply said, You need to leave, now. I was taken aback. I knew that Red was quite intuitive. They practiced spiritual Wicca, and were very in tune with the elements. This confirmed my suspicion that something was wrong. I responded, What do you mean? She confessed, I had sent a protection spell with you and felt that you were in danger. I still feel it. Where are you? Although I was flattered that Red had cared enough to spiritually stalk me, I was still somewhat suspicious. I remember looking around. They didn't live near me, so I was getting a little worried how they knew about our situation. Maybe she was right. So I replied, I'm at the park in the old forest. Leave, they told me. It's not safe right now. At this point, I was super glued to my phone. I had lost track of C and was completely immersed in this conversation. When suddenly, I was pulled from my device's grip when Leon and I heard a loud thud. It was the breaking of branches and something landing in the bushes about maybe 15 meters away. I nearly fell off the tree I was sitting on. I was so spooked. My shock was only dampened when I saw C sprinting, cuts all over his arms and legs from falling into the bush, pale as a ghost and terrified. Get out of that freaking tree! Now! He called up to us. Leon looked puzzled, but I could see anxiety bubbling as he looked at C. Well, don't just stand there, C demanded with fearful irritation in his tone. We need to get out of here. Why? Leon called while beginning to slowly shimmy down the trunk of the tree. 
There's... there's something here. C breathed, glancing back in the direction he came from. Crap. C cussed as he began to move away. Leon moved fast down the tree, but I was frozen. My phone was buzzing in my hand as messages from Red poured in, their warnings falling on deaf ears as I saw a dark, hairy shape hidden in the green ferns. Something smelled off, and my heart lurched as I saw it twitch in our direction. For a moment, I swear to God we made eye contact, and just as it began to move towards us, C grabbed me by the ankles and hauled me down the tree and to the ground. Quickly, I scrambled to my feet as I heard twigs breaking and branches being pushed out of the way. Out of fear, we all bolted as fast as we could. We thundered over thorny ankle-biting bushes, broke branches, and ran through many spider webs to get out of the forest. But when we got out, we were trapped. Where I live, the park and the forest are right next to a beach, which is a decent ten-meter drop, and there was no way in heck we were going to freaking swim to safety or hide by the rocks at the beach. My grandma's house, Leon panted as we all sprinted down the trail towards civilization. It's the closest. There were no objections. We were all too scared to think of a decent plan. I felt my lungs burn for air as I pushed to keep up with my more athletic friends. I was never lazy, but I was no spring chicken. I am and always will be a short-distance runner. So when I felt my pace begin to slow, I pushed even harder. Fearing for your life can make you do amazing things. We raced into Leon's grandmother's property. We all knew that she was snowbirding in Florida and would be away for the remainder of the cold months. We scrambled to the back door, which thankfully Leon had the spare key to, and we tumbled over each other to get inside. Now, we've seen horror films, and we thought we knew the best way to survive them. Number one on that survival list was to lock down the house, so we bolted to every door to lock it, as well as every window. It was in that time that I finally acknowledged my phone again. I had missed several texts from Red, and a few calls from them too, so I called back. Thank God, V, you're alive, they said. What happened? Are you okay? I explained everything to Red in as much detail as I could muster at the time. I was shaking both from overexertion and adrenaline, and after thinking about it, Red surprised me again. Get all the candles in the house and put them at every entrance to the house. Just trust me. C interjected. But your grandma doesn't have many candles. He had clearly crashed here many times before when he got drunk at a party and needed a place to be hung over at. Leon's grandma was a sweet old lady after all. There's the herb garden, Leon suggested. Perfect, said Red. Go get all the sage you can find then. And as if instructed by a general... Leon did so without complaint, returning with enough to make a small shrubbery out of the sage. Then we locked down the door and went upstairs to hide in the office. There was only one window and one door there, plus that door locked, so we figured it'd be safe. But for my personal safety, I decided to have the boys stay nearest to the door. I'd sooner jump out of a window that is two stories in the air before I let myself become dinner. Then again, we had no idea what was chasing us. 
Once we were huddled into the office, I hung up the phone with Red, and we took a moment to breathe. The hell was it? C asked, his voice barely hovering above a whisper. I don't know, Leon responded. It felt like a monster from a horror film. Or maybe it was some drug-addicted psychopath who was broke and looking for some fresh teenagers to sell in the black market so he could buy more drugs, I stated with an irritated amount of sarcasm. I was starting to get frustrated at this point. What if this was some elaborate prank? What if some jerk had decided to dress up as Bigfoot and wait in the tree line for a while to send some unsuspecting passers-by into the afterlife for a laugh? Then we all froze. Something had opened the back gate and closed it. We stayed as silent as a church when we heard heavy footsteps against the garden path in the backyard, and then we heard the distinct sound of jiggling doorknobs, the sound of something touching the windows. Whatever was stalking us was looking for us and was checking every entrance in the house to get inside. I knew it, I thought to myself. It's some murderer, and we're about to be killed. Guys? Leon whispered, cutting through my pessimistic thoughts. What? I responded. Who locked the basement door? My heart sank as we looked at each other, all silently admitting that it wasn't us. I had been too nervous to go to the basement, but it was the same for them. No one locked it, I said, my throat dry as we realized that that thing had an opening. Crap, said C. Someone needs to lock it. Are you out of your mind? growled Leon. If one goes, we all go, I stated, quietly getting up. No point in getting separated. We stand a better chance as a team than we do on our own. Reluctantly, the boys and I grabbed nearby objects and quietly crept out of the office. I had grabbed a broom that was hanging on the hook by the door. Leon had a combat stapler, I guess, and C had a mail opener. We heard the thing move to the front of the house at that point, so we hurried to get to the basement. Carefully, we tried our best to sneak down the old wooden stairs. I used that old trick I'd used to sneak downstairs of the house when my parents were watching TV, so I could sneak some sweets, clinging to the edge of the wall. Once we got to the cold basement, we were huddled together, moving as quickly as a bunch of scared teenagers could, toward the door. The way the basement was set up was like this. There's the staircase leading to an open room surrounded by doors to the boiler and storage room, with an air hockey table in the center of the room leading to the movie room, where a couch was and the door just around the corner. We were trying to be stealthy when the boiler turned on, spooking Leon, who instinctively jumped, going right into the air hockey table and letting the plastic puck hit the floor. Then we all froze. Although the sound was small, it felt as loud as a fire alarm, and we strained our ears to hear. Quickly, we heard footsteps coming towards the door. Crap, I huffed as I darted from the huddle towards the door. I saw a shadow swiftly dart behind the curtains of the window nearing the door. My heart was pounding. I put my hand forward and prayed under my breath, hoping that I would be faster, hoping that I would make it to the door first. My shoulder collided with the door as I fumbled against the knob to lock it. As soon as I did, I felt an equal thud on the other end of the door, and a loud, 
growl. I basically flew away from the door and into the arms of my friends, who were standing in horror. Through the glass window of the door and the floral white mini-curtains, we saw a shadow, large, covered in hair or fur. Its shoulders were at the midpoint of the window. It was taller than the door, and it growled like a dog would when you kept its bone away from it. I rose to my feet shakily, and I stared at the shadow as I felt it stared right back at me. Leave, I remember commanding under my breath as I felt a surge of electricity go through me. Maybe it was adrenaline, or something else, but it soon growled one more time, and then thudded away, its heavy footsteps soon fading. We heard every single agonizing step, though, up the stairs, through the gate. As soon as we could breathe, we bolted back upstairs in the house, and to the office again, calling our parents. We were still teenagers, and there was no way in hell we were going outside. When my mother came to get me, to her reluctance, she said to me that she felt something was there around the house, something evil and dangerous, and I had told her nothing, only that I had heard my ankle falling from a tree. That was all the confirmation I needed. I knew that feeling I had was right, and to this day I trust my sixth sense. I advise you all to do the same the next time you feel yourself being stalked by something sinister. Light a candle. Grab some sage. It may sound silly, but it might just save you. Well, there you have it. These monsters may be spooky. They may look fearsome and come running right at you. But then again, they are Canadian. They're probably just offering you a seat at their dinner table and a warm bed to stay in for the night. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have your own story, share it with us at darkstories.org. Before we go, be sure to check the links in the description for links to donate and to get some merch. Now, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate. They're awesome people. Remember, stay safe out there and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. Every animal we know of today had to be discovered at one point. Even the fiercest creatures, like gorillas, bears, and others, had to be stumbled upon by man at some point. Could you imagine the stories they told of these creatures? Well, they might sound a lot like these three stories about people who have sighted unexplained creatures, monsters that defy logic and induce a response of fear or confusion. Enjoy these stories, and remember, if you've seen something creepy, or something you can't explain, send it to me at darkstories.org, because I'd love to narrate it. Now, let's begin. I saw it crawling on my neighbor's roof, from Plague Bacon. 
These incidents occurred over a period of time when I was younger. However, it was only until recently that I connected the dots. I grew up in Louisiana, right on the outskirts of New Orleans. The city itself has so much history, myths, and intrigue surrounding it that I would be remiss to say that I didn't have other experiences involving spirits and all that, but that's a story for another time. Right after Hurricane Katrina, I was displaced by the storm and ended up staying in Florida for a while. While there, it seemed as though every channel on the news had coverage of the horrific event. People's homes were flooded, the roads were blocked, businesses destroyed, and to make things even worse, there were many reports of people committing some heinous crimes. Part of the news covered people trying to escape the storm and the resulting aftermath. The other half seemed to cover the dark side of humanity. Vandalism, theft, looting, violence, all of that occurred while others were simply trying to survive. To make matters worse, the prisons were destroyed, and a lot of the city's unmentionables started roaming the area, causing more trouble for the people who were simply trying to exist. Some really horrible stuff went on. Like, sure, this experience involves the aftermath of a horrible storm, and the possible encounter with something dangerous and unexplained. But I'll never put it past humans to be the darkest, most cruel creatures in existence. The news covered up a lot of it, of course. This is where people begin to say, then how do you know what really happened if there was a cover-up? And to you I'll say this. I was there in the Superdome. I hid from the prisoners when they broke in, and I, being one of the able-bodied people in the area, had to help deal with the people who weren't as fortunate in being able to hide. Coverage about the swamps flooding, animals escaping zoos, as well as creatures from the bayou areas, like alligators and such, were frequent. Many of these dangerous animals made their way into the same broken streets as the ones where there were people simply trying to get back home. So, what I'm trying to say is, all manner of beasts were displaced by the storm, not just humans. But what about the things that we are told don't or shouldn't exist? Is it possible that the storm impacted them as well? A few months after the storm, I eventually moved back to Louisiana, trying to put back the pieces of my own life. I lost a dear friend to looters. My house was in shambles, and the majority of my classmates were off in different cities now. Thankfully, I started dating my now wife, from Florida. We would take turns visiting each other every other weekend. It was a long-distance thing, but we made it work. This is relevant to the story, trust me. One week as I was driving my sister home from the movies, we started talking about lions. She was 13 at the time, and she just got out from seeing the Narnia movie with some friends. We crossed over the small bridge over a canal that led into our subdivision, and as we turned the corner, she said something along the lines of, and Mr. Tumnus started to play a flute, and... Wait, what's a Tumnus again? I asked. She saw my confused face and continued. He's got, like, the legs of a goat, but he has horns and doesn't have any hair on his body like Phil. You know, from Hercules. She paused mid-sentence. Oh, did Ashley get a new dog or something? 
She motioned towards our neighbor's yard. I glanced to the left and saw what looked to be a grayish dog, sort of like a greyhound, sitting in their front lawn. Something about it didn't feel right. It was skinny, like a little too skinny. Its muzzle looked to be flat, and its legs were longer than I thought they should be. But I was no dog expert by any means. I didn't think too much about it at the time. Uh, not sure, I said, as we drove past their house. But I can ask later. We drove off with that dog looking in the direction of our car, almost as if it were following us with its eyes. But I figured that's what animals do, and I cast it off as nothing. Later on, I would text Ashley about her new creepy puppy, but she had no idea what I was talking about. She said, if anything, it was probably some stray that got a whiff of her dogs. Poor thing was probably malnourished, if it was as thin as you described. She told me. I wrote it off as whatever and forgot about it entirely for a while. A few weeks later, I was on the phone with my girlfriend, talking about our respective days at school. I walked into the kitchen to grab a Coke. Robin, my sister, was browsing her friend's MySpace pages and listening to Lil Wayne on Pandora. Soon as I walked into the kitchen, I could barely hear what my girlfriend was saying, so I asked Robin if she'd lower the music. She begrudgingly complied after muttering to herself. I grabbed my Coke, a whole bag of chips, don't judge me, and was making my way back upstairs when I heard Robin call to me. Kuya, she squeaked as I rounded the steps. What's that? Hmm? What do you mean? I heard something outside. I groaned and told my girlfriend to hold on a moment. I went back down into the kitchen to see Robin peeking out through the blinds. Ooh, that dog is back, she said, closing up the laptop and heading towards the stairs. I'll, I'll be in my room. That thing gives me the creeps. Sure enough, there it was, sitting at the edge of our property. Trying to sound tough, I told my girlfriend I was going to go outside to scare it off, and I'd call her back. In reality, I wanted to see the thing up close, bring it some food if it wasn't hostile. However, if it was, I didn't want her to hear me scream like a baby. I opened the sliding glass door that led towards my backyard, and proceeded to walk over to where Robin saw the dog sitting. Now, to get an understanding of our backyard, it had a cement patio that connected to the grass, and at the very end of the yard was a canal. We had cement bases for a fence, but due to the hurricane, all work stopped there. As I approached closer, its gaunt silhouette started to make me feel uncomfortable. It did that thing with its eyes that nocturnal animals do when they reflect light, you know, making it look even more unsettling. I took a deep breath, and was about to let out a, Hey boy, you hungry? But before those words could leave my mouth, it quickly jolted up and turned its head back toward the canal. For some reason, this caused me to freeze. The way it moved was wrong. It let out this moan. Maybe it was a growl. Sounded like the combination between a dog's howl and a goat bleeding. It was more melodic, though, if that makes sense. I saw its eyes flash that eerie glow again as it spun its body around 
and darted down toward the canal. It was creepy, sure, but once more I wrote it off as whatever. Fast forward another week or so, and one of Ashley's dog was found dead in her backyard. Now, I didn't see it myself, but from the way she described it, the poor thing was torn to shreds. Pieces of fur scattered all over in what appeared to be a struggle. The general consensus was that a bobcat or some other wildcat had done it, but she wasn't convinced. But Chucks was a mastiff. She kept repeating, There's no way some bobcat got to him like that. Now, I know what you're thinking. It's probably related to that thing I saw, right? It was outside of her house that one night, too. I mean, the thought crossed my mind, but I didn't want to bring it up around her. Later that same day, I was sitting on my roof. I would crawl out of my window from the second story and recline on the rooftop that hung over the garage. This gave me a good view of the neighborhood. I was telling my girlfriend about all that had happened so far, how I kept hearing strange sounds at night, and about how Jacques was found dead. I was in the middle of telling her how these sounds have been increasing in occurrence these past few days, when I heard it again right there. It sounded louder, closer. Before I could ask if she heard it as well, she asked, What the hell was that? Confirming that she had heard it too. I then proceeded to tell her my theory on how it was connected to the creepy dog. When the weekend came, my girlfriend was in town to visit, so I took her and my sister out to dinner. It was a nice meal. Steak, potatoes, soda... The latter is important because none of us had any alcohol during the meal. On the drive home, we were discussing the intricacies surrounding religion and faith. When Robin screamed, she pointed to the roof of a nearby neighbor's house. In my shock, I slammed on the brakes to get a better look. And that's when we saw it. And I mean, really saw it. It was slender, almost to the point of absurdity and its limbs were outstretched, joints bent in some unnatural posture. It had pale gray fur. Well, not fur, actually, it was skin. Its skin was pale gray and stretched extremely tight over its body. It was quite unnerving to look at. I sat there, with a foot on my brake, as I tried to make sense of what it was. My sister screamed, Go! I want to go home! Then the creature froze. Wait, I thought. Did it hear us? No, there's, there's no way it hurt us. The creature twitched, turning back to face us, once again hitting me with the eerie glow of its eyes. And then it skittered, like the way a lizard does, body close to the surface, over the other side of the roof, towards their backyard. I quickly called my neighbor as soon as we got home and told him that we saw something on his roof. In an attempt to not sound crazy, I said that it looked to be a huge possum crawling around the second story. His reply shocked me. Did it look like a monkey? Wait, what? N no, it was... The wife and I have been seeing this monkey-looking thing hanging in the trees at night. We called Animal Control, and they said it was probably some possum done escaped from a preserve. But I know what a possum looks like, and that thing ain't no possum. 
Uh, I was more than a little confused. I, I guess. I mean, it looked like a long, skinny dog or something. We just saw a cross. Yep, that's the one, old man. That's the one. Don't you worry, though. It just sits there, staring at nothing. I figure if it means any harm, it would have done so already. He had interrupted me. I guess, I said. Well, I just wanted to let you know. It's pretty weird looking. <laughs> he laughed. Well, if it come in here, I'll knock it dead and mount it on the wall. And that was the end of that. Fast forward to a few weeks ago, early 2020. My wife, the girlfriend from the story, and I ended up moving to Florida, became parents, and were living the good life when my sister and parents came to visit us for the weekend. While the grandparents were enjoying putting our daughter to sleep, Robin suggested looking for creepy videos on YouTube. We're horror buffs, so why not, right? We came across a few scary story channels, but then soon came across another YouTube channel. Wish I could say the name of the channel in the video. But he had a numbered list of the creepiest things ever caught on camera. It went through various ghost sightings, unexplained occurrences, and even dabbled into the unexplained creature territory. This YouTuber started to talk about the rake, a creepypasta creature. As with the other items on the list, it had some photos and videos attached, all of which looked eerie, until we came across one photo. A photo of a long, emaciated creature sitting on all fours. Almost as an aside, Robin said, That looks like that thing we saw on the roof. Do you remember that, Kuya? I looked up and squinted. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> I'm surprised you remember that. My wife added, She's right, I remember it as well, and it did look very similar to this. We laughed it off as a strange experience and proceeded to watch the video, which more or less said, Supposedly the rake lives within deep forests. Reports have also sighted the creature in places like Louisiana. We all froze. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, as it all came crashing back. I looked up to see my wife and Robin in similar instances of awe. Well, crap. N now that's... creepy. I said. The video proceeded to show more convincing footage of the rake, with glowing eyes, via a video from a sewer tunnel. You probably know what video I'm talking about. As I watched it, I began to feel uneasy. Those eyes, they pierced through me. I mean, that's exactly what I remember staring back at me from way before. That's even worse. I started... Because that's how I remember the eyes look. I cut myself off. Then the creature in the video ducked out of view, moving in that same fluid yet jittery motion as it did on that roof. My wife and my sister froze, both visibly shaken. This sparked a big discussion on cryptids and the like, ending with both my wife and sister telling me to share our story. Someone needs to know something, they said. A thing I forgot to mention earlier was the smell. There was always this dry, musty, rotted smell lingering in the air whenever we remember seeing it, but I couldn't find anything that talked about how the rake smells. 
So, whoever's listening, did we really encounter the rake back home? Is it possible that there's more than one of these things out there? I mean, what else could it be? I know it's hard to explain, but the creature in that video, it was so similar. The movement, those eyes, one does not forget a sight like that. Not at all. Especially once you've seen it on your neighbor's roof. Pontianak Cries from J. Ion I joined a youth missionary group after high school. Other than going on missions to impoverished areas and visiting disadvantaged communities, we would sometimes be sent to attend something like a summer camp, but with a ton of lectures about faith and physically demanding games and meditation sessions in the middle of thick woods or up on a hill far away from modern civilization. One such camp took us to a mountainous region blanketed by thick foliage, where there were no human settlements for at least 15 kilometers in Indonesia. The only reminder of human life up in those mountains were the sporadic presence of farms, mostly fruit orchards, that permeated the forest every few meters. As it wasn't harvest season, no one stayed on the farms nor nearby. So it was just thirty rambunctious teenagers and young adults with a handful of stern elders for a few nights in a rented manor which was located next to a banana plantation up on a hill with thick forests. The first day we arrived, all of us were excited because we really needed the break from everyday life. As none of us attending were Indonesian, we failed to realize that having a banana tree nearby, notwithstanding an entire banana plantation, was very inauspicious. As dusk was approaching, I began to feel as though someone not from our group was watching me from the cover of the trees. I looked out at the trees, where the feeling was most intense, but never managed to spot anything weird. That night after dinner, we were told to play a game of group charades. Some of us had to sit on the veranda outside to brainstorm a game plan. It was out there that I suddenly felt a chill on my back. I had my back to the woods. I turned around to look behind me. My gaze fell on several small lights of greenish-yellow color, speckled across different heights of the forest foliage. Some were stationary, and some were moving about slowly while blinking in and out of existence. Thinking that they were the lights of fireflies, I gazed at them for several minutes, but I noticed that the more I looked, the temperature around me seemed to drop a degree or so every few seconds. When a teammate called out to me, I turned my head to answer his question. Then I looked back at the trees. This time the moving lights were gone. Only the stationary ones remained. I mentioned what I supposed were fireflies to him, but he, being a science major at university, said it was rare for fireflies to be found up in the hills far from water source which we were. I pointed at the trees where I saw the lights, but this time even the stationary lights had vanished. I thought myself lucky to have even seen the rare instance of fireflies being so far away from water, but my teammate shrugged off what I'd said. He acknowledged that the temperature on the veranda felt unnaturally cold, though. We were in a tropical region, after all, and it wasn't cloudy or windy. The following evening, we were again on the veranda playing yet another game, 
when I heard a rather high-pitched female moan. I looked around, asking if anyone else had heard it too. None of the male teammates heard a single thing, but the female teammates said they heard a strange high-pitched sound that was similar to a cat's mating call. The sound repeated itself several times throughout the night, with the pitch getting higher and higher each time. By the third and final night of our stay, some of us were getting spooked. This is when I found out I wasn't the only one who felt being watched when the sky began to get dark. I definitely wasn't alone in feeling the random and sudden drop in temperatures, and there were more than a handful of us at this point who could hear that strange high-pitched sound. That night, I remember it was three minutes past three, I woke up to the sound of a woman's cries, but it didn't sound entirely like she was crying either. It sounded like a combination of crying, laughing, shrieking, and moaning that grew louder and louder as if the person was getting nearer to us at high speed. I looked around to make sure it wasn't anyone in the same room having an emotional breakdown, but everyone was sound asleep. No one in the room was awake except for me, and by then the cries were coming from just outside our window. This was located on the second floor of the manor. Although I couldn't see who it was, I'm very sure that the person was either flying or floating. After all, it was 3 a.m. in the woods, up on a hill 15 kilometers from the nearest village, and we were the second story up from the ground. Who in their right mind wants to mess with a bunch of sleeping kids in the middle of nowhere? The cries gradually faded, and I stayed awake for about half an hour before falling asleep again. In the morning, just before leaving camp, our camp counselor, an elderly man who had been there several times now, held a short seminar when he asked if any of us had unusual experiences during our stay. About half of us raised our hands and he merely chuckled, told us that we weren't the only ones. Apparently that manor had been well known by the missionary group for unexplained phenomena. Every time they held an event here, attendees would report some bizarre incidents. When we were taken out of those hills by our local guide, I told him of my experience the past few nights. He said it was most definitely a Pontianac. He explained that a Pontianac is the vampire spirit of a deceased pregnant woman who had become vengeful. She floats around at night, looking for blood. A Pontianac often has glowing eyes, usually in the hues of red or green or even yellow. They are known for hanging around dark trees during the night, when they're not hunting for blood. But its favorite hideout during the day is within banana trees, where it takes residence in the unripe fruit or within the trunk of the tree. The creepy combination of cries, laughter, shrieks, and moans, they're meant to confuse and lure victims by sounding like a damsel in distress or a child in trouble. Appearance-wise, our local guide said a Pontianac has long hair, sharp claws, things, and wears either a green, red, or white dress, in addition to having the aforementioned glowing eyes. It levitates and flies around looking for prey at night, but some have been known to be out and about during the day, too, but have to remain in the shade in less noisy and crowded areas. When he was done telling us about this, I was freaking out. I was in shock, basically, realizing that I may have come close to a real, undead creature. 
The local guide explained that no one lives near that hill we had our camp on, because it has a large banana plantation and a very old, disused cemetery where the remains of several Pontianacs and those of unborn children are. That's why the manor we stayed in was so affordable, and the cost of the camp was very low. No one else was willing to take up the place because of the location. I shudder every time I recall that horrible sound, and I'm extremely grateful that I didn't try to look out the window, because I don't think I can handle the sight of seeing a floating dead woman. Werewolf Encounter from Ike, Inc. I uh, don't enjoy camping all that much, but after this encounter, it made me change my mind a bit. It was in the middle of January. My friend Jay called me about wanting to go camping for the weekend. I sighed and told him I'm not much of a camper, but he insisted it'd be fun. He had a good point about me trying new things and all that. Well, he convinced me, so I agreed to join him. He arranged what day and time we'd head off. Fast forward a few days, and I was helping Jay load up his truck, and soon we were on our way. During the drive, Jay mentioned that we're not going to a normal camping spot, rather a secret spot he had been going to since last year. I didn't like the idea of that at first, but at the same time I preferred the quality bro time with Jay, since it had been a while since I got to talk to him last. So I obliged. After an hour had passed, we made it to this secret camp area, and color me impressed. It was a nice small opening with trees surrounding it. Pretty cozy, if you ask me. After me and Jay set up camp, we spent the rest of the day catching up and cooking up some canned soup for dinner. Evening came around, and it was getting dark pretty quick. I had to go number one and excused myself. I walked into the forest to find a good spot to do my business. I was smart enough to not go too far. I made sure I could still see the light of the fire from the campsite. After I found a good spot, I did what I had to do, although I had a weird feeling of being watched that whole time. There was no fear or sense of dread, it was just a calming vibe. It's sort of hard to explain. I ignored it and finished up. As I turned around to start heading back to camp, I caught sight of two big glowing blue eyes looking at me from a close-by tree. This surprised me, made me jump a bit even, but I stayed calm. The emotions running through me were curiosity, awe. The eyes blinked once until they began to move slowly towards me. A silhouette of a large wolf-like thing came into view from what little light the moon gave off. I thought it was a wolf or a large dog, but it wasn't quite that. It was crawling on all fours, sniffing at me, looking very curious. It was about maybe five or six feet tall. It had darkish gray fur with some white in it. It was slender, but very defined muscularly. The hands ended in sharp claws. I also noticed that the thing was female. She inched closer and started to sniff my coat, cocking her head almost curiously. I was amazed at what I was looking at, but that didn't last long. My friend was calling out for me, and that caused this female wolf thing to look at the direction of my friend, 
back at me. Then she stood up a bit, licked my forehead, and bounded off into the dark. I was still amazed in trying to process what I saw before Jay found me, asking if everything was all right. I said yeah, but I didn't tell him what I saw. For the rest of the trip, I kept looking out in the forest in hope of seeing this creature again, but it never happened. A shame. Regardless of my experience, I would not recommend assuming these things or anything like it are always friendly. If you enjoy camping, if you see something unnatural, always be cautious. Animals are fascinating. Nature has pressured them for millions of years to create creatures of every sort of shape and size. And despite how smart humans have gotten, there are still creatures that elude us, creatures we still can't understand. In our age of technology and understanding, there are still legends to fear. Good night. If you enjoyed this episode of Darkness Prevails, be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. If you have a story of your own to share with us, send it over at darkstories.org, and I might narrate it. If you want to support the show, check the links in the description. And, until next time, here are the credits to my amazing patrons who continue to donate to keep us afloat. Remember, stay safe out there, and stay creepy, because this world is a strange one. From disturbing things seen while hiking, to homes that are filled to the very tip-top with demons, these are a variety of allegedly true scary stories that will haunt your night and week to come. Enjoy these stories, and be sure to share your own story with me at darkstories.org, because I'd love to narrate it on the show. Now, let's begin. Deer in the Winter Snow From Black Sun Well, I've held on to this story for a while, knowing that most won't believe me or my friends. Well, it starts one winter in North Georgia. Me and a couple of friends of mine wanted to go camping. It was going to snow, and it was going to snow a lot. Eleven inches in total, I think. We were excited because it didn't snow much here, especially in large amounts like this. We knew we couldn't actually use any tents because of the temperature, but one of my oldest family members had a cabin in the rural area of Gilmer County. It didn't have any power, but it was excluded, surrounded only by woods, a pig trail leading to the cabin, which was just big enough for the ATVs. The four of us grabbed everything from our homes and met up at the base of the trail. I saw that my friend Roger brought his dog, Klein, a massive mastiff, the largest dog I'd ever known, but very friendly and gentle. We got ready to go onto the trail, which would be a two-hour trip into the woods. About an hour into the trip, we stopped because Terry had to go pee, but Roger's dog was getting upset for whatever reason. He kept on grunting and growling. We figured he was needing to use the restroom, too. After we got started again, the snow started to fall, 
and by ten minutes in it was already lying on the ground and getting dark. About fifteen minutes away from the cabin, Roger's dog Klein is now in full protective mode, barking and growling. We went around the next bend in the trail to stop to see a deer in the middle of the trail, just staring at us, and Klein was on his stomach, whimpering now. That deer, though, I was confused about it. It wouldn't move or run from us. It just stayed there and stared. We eventually just drove around it. The deer only moved a little bit, making sure to keep us in its sight. I felt uneasy, but my friends got me over it as soon as we got to the cabin. The snow was about five inches by then, so we first got the fire started in the fireplace. We got all of our stuff off the ATVs and settled in for tomorrow. We planned on driving all over the mountain. We soon went to sleep, but I still got this uneasy feeling. I had a dream about that darned deer. The following day we had fun racing through the mountains and playing in the snow until dark. Then we went back to the cabin to prepare for the next day, as we'd have to leave for home then. We got some supper cooked up, which was a learning process, I'll tell you that. But we soon had it figured out and settled in for the night, when Roger told Klein to go out and use the restroom before going to bed. It didn't take long for Klein to begin barking like mad. He was on the porch growling and barking, scratching at the door, and Rogers got up to get him. But before he could open up the door, we heard him yelp, and what sounded like him getting ripped off the porch aggressively by something. We opened the door quickly and saw only scratch marks on the porch, and there were a few spots of red. What happened? I asked. What's going on? Roger replied with, I don't know, Klein's gone. I go out on the front porch. It's close to dark, but visible enough to see to the forest line. I followed the trail of red with my eyes, and I could see where it ended. I grabbed a flashlight, and I saw that deer again. It was standing over Klein, who wasn't moving. They were about a hundred fifty feet away from the cabin. The deer was staring at us again, its mouth now covered in a red fluid. In a panic, I pushed Roger back into the cabin and slammed the door shut, locking it, hoping he hadn't seen what I saw. I wanted to keep it to myself, but everyone was looking at me, wanting to know what I saw. I asked them if they remembered the deer from before. It was that, but Klein seemed to be dead. When I told them I think the deer had killed Klein, they looked scared and confused. All of a sudden, one of the other guys yelled. I looked at him, and he was pointing at the window. I looked over and I saw that deer. Between the time of me getting in the house and telling everyone, which was only a few seconds really, that deer had made it to the window to watch us. That in itself seemed unnatural. It began to walk around the outside walls, scratching at them, maybe with its hooves or maybe with its antlers. It did this for a while, then finally walked away. And when it walked away, the last thing we heard was a blood-curdling scream, as unnatural as that deer was. We did not sleep that night, 
and as soon as the sun was high, we took off leaving most of our stuff only to get the heck out of there. It only took us half the time to get out of the woods as it did to get in. When I made it back home, my great-uncle asked what was wrong. He could see it on my face that something had happened. I told him everything. He looked at me and hugged me, telling me he was glad that I was okay. But he told me that he had experienced something similar, and that, at the time, no one believed him. But now he was thankful he wasn't going crazy. As for Roger and the other guys, we pretty much split up after that. Roger moved away to the city. As for me, I still wonder what's out there, and I want evidence of it. I still go to that cabin, ready to take pictures or record video, but I've never seen it again. But randomly, on occasions that I cannot plan for, I do hear it scream. I Can't Explain This From Jane L. When I was in college, I lived in a small apartment complex that was close to an old cemetery. I'd have to pass the cemetery every day on my way home from school, but it was usually during early evening hours when it was still light out and some people were somewhat around. On this particular day, I forgot my bag in class, which had my wallet, makeup, and other important valuables in it. It was because I had to use the bathroom before leaving, like a dunce, so I forgot it and left without it. By the time I realized I'd forgotten it, I was already three-quarters home, and it was almost dark out. Nevertheless, I needed my bag, and so I had to go back and get it. I didn't want anyone to steal it, or risk having my identity stolen. That would be a whole new, bigger mess. On the way there, the cemetery was quite spooky. There was just an old rusty gate between the sidewalk and the graves. But there was a bit of light still. The couple of people were walking on the same block. This did put my nerves at ease for a while. I successfully made it to my bag and retrieved it, thankful that no one had taken it. I checked and made sure everything was in it, too, and it was. I continued on my way back home after that. It was supposed to be a simple walk through town. So simple, how was I to know what was about to come next? It was dark, and I came to the street and turned the corner. It was dimly lit by a single street lamp, and now no one was around. I paused, looking toward the cemetery gate that I'd passed earlier. I could still see the first few headstones, but the rest had now disappeared into pitch-black darkness. There was no way around this block, as I needed to walk past this quiet street in order to get onto a footbridge that crossed a highway. It was my only way. Hesitant, I took a deep breath, and I swiftly began to walk. I crossed over to the other side of the street and I began to hum loudly to put myself out of my fears, to ease my nerves, but it only worked a little bit. I made it roughly halfway through the block, when suddenly I heard the voice of a child in the direction of the cemetery. He was... he was screaming. Help me, he kept saying and calling out. I froze, 
terrified. I tried to breathe in, but no air would come inside. I tried to turn my head, but it took so much more energy than usual, as if I had been stuck in the most viscous fluid in existence. It felt as if someone had stopped the flow of time for me, but the rest of the world had kept going. Just then, I noticed something lurking in the cemetery. It was unmistakable, two eyes reflecting light that wasn't there. It was looking at me, and whatever it was knew I was looking at it. I tried to yell, tried to scream, but only muffled whimpers came out. I was trapped, and there was obviously no way I was getting out of there alive. Deep inside, I knew that I was a goner. It felt weird to do it, but I suddenly just gave up and succumbed to my fear. My mind fell blank, and my body was rigid, like some sort of android. I accepted what was going to happen to me, and I made peace with the darkness. I slowly turned away from the cemetery and continued walking in the direction I was going, like a mindless zombie. In my mind, I felt I had nothing to gain and nothing to lose. But as I walked, I suddenly heard whatever was in the cemetery beginning to laugh loudly, laugh at me. This time, it was not only a child's voice, but the voice of an old woman and an older man, all at the same time. It slowly began saying, You, 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 you. It just grew louder and louder as I walked away. The further away I got from it, the fainter it became, but it was constantly saying that to me and laughing, until I was too far away to hear it. I will unfortunately always remember that night, and always wonder what it was. I tried to rationalize the experience by saying it was probably just a crazy person doing crazy things to scare people, or something along those lines. But that really doesn't explain anything. I've walked past there many times before, but always with people, always in the daytime. One thing is for sure. You won't find me walking by a cemetery alone at night ever again. Demons in my childhood home From Euphonium at Bandcamp. I lived in my childhood home in Las Vegas, Nevada from 1998 to 2013. My family moved in there when I was five, and we left when I turned 19. So I spent a solid portion of my life in that home. I even still have regular nightmares that take place there, as if the demons who haunted me then will never let me be, even in my dreams. So we lived in a big 1970s-style home, and the bad juju began right off the bat. A construction worker had died while digging the in-ground pool, apparently falling into the eight-foot pit while holding a rather sharp tool. He died only minutes after falling. Add on to this the fact that our hastily built and shakily built home was being financed by some very shady people. Anyway, 
The home was on the outskirts of a town. There was really nothing but desert beyond it, dirt roads and all that. It was definitely the perfect spot for shady business deals or a shallow grave. While living there, we actually found a fairly big gallon-sized mason jar, filled to the brim with gold watches, pendants, necklaces, rings, even golden teeth in the crawlspace under the stairway when we moved in. So enough of the history of the place. Let's move on to the experiences my family and even friends regularly encountered there. We had at least four different entities in this home, I think, two of which were demonic. Normal, everyday and every night occurrences including footsteps, flickering lights, knocks, heavy breathing and talking, objects being moved and manipulated. You could also physically feel something oppressive in certain parts of the house. At night, I had to let out my last set of dogs, as we had eight of them. This included a Doberman Pinscher and a pit bull that lived in our living room. The bottom of the doorway had a door with two locks in the knob and a deadbolt type of lock. Every night, my last chore would be to let them out and feed and water them, then lock up. As soon as the deadbolt slid into the latch when I was locking up, I could feel something literally hanging on my back. Feeling that sensation of instant weight on my back ugh, gives me chills just thinking about it. It was heavy, evil, sinister. This began to happen every night I lived there, for nine years straight, never failing. It was so bad that I would often slide my back in the walls or doorway to try and get it off my back. It literally felt like something was there a growth or something latching on to me. There were also these kitchen disturbances. Cabinets would often open up, all thirteen of them completely ajar without explanation. Things would clatter and bang, but one day we heard a huge crash, followed by our cats and dogs running for their dear lives, away from that unseen force. When we went to check, we ended up stepping on glass which had somehow been flung from the kitchen to this corner, meaning that whatever had broken dishes or glass in the kitchen had done so violently. Upon closer inspection, they'd tossed two glass pans meant for baking. These were old and very sturdy, even if thrown with full force at the floor. It should have simply cracked at most. But these suckers, they'd been tossed in the ground and seemingly trampled, because the glass itself was minuscule, nearly dust at this point. Imagine thousands or even tens of thousands of tiny glass pieces broken from a pan. It was so bad we even found glass shards here and there for years to come. One night I fell asleep in my father's hospital bed in the den. My dad was asleep in his room and my mom was asleep in hers. I was half asleep until I started to hear something in my ear. This caused me to be brought fully awake, and the sound grew louder and louder. I knew something was wrong. The more I hoped it was just a dream, the more I realized it was real, and I began to grow terrified. My eyes shot open, and I noticed that there were no animals in the room with me. With as many pets as we had, one of them was always nearby. But this time, something had perhaps spooked them out of the room. Within seconds of opening my eyes, 
I was bombarded by the deepest growl that I'd ever heard. I won't forget it. Nothing comes close to the bass it produced and the evil you could feel within it. It was being projected straight into my right ear, and I could even feel hot breath in my ear. I sat there paralyzed for a couple of minutes. After that time, it seemed to stop. Eventually, I got the courage to jump up and run to my dad's room with him, to sleep next to him. I was way too scared to sleep on my own for a while, even though I was 16 at the time. Now the dogs and cats sensed some entities as well. You don't really know real fear until you walk up the stairs to see three dogs and six cats, all of them staring at the same spot on the ceiling, their heads slowly following something that a human eye cannot see, back and forth in the dark corner of the upstairs hallway. I saw this on multiple occasions, and at one point when I was up there, one of the cats hissed, and they ran with their tails puffed, hackles raised, fleeing full speed away, hiding under tables and beds. Before I left being creeped out, I felt an ice-cold breeze blow by me, as if whatever had scared that cat wanted me to know that it was there. All the crap that went on in that house, I could be here all day writing. It was like the house itself wasn't exactly haunted, but cursed by some bad spirits or something. That place was truly the home of whatever could go wrong would go wrong. Water would leak from the ceilings. Some of the floors were stained with water so bad that it felt more like stepping on mud. We even had lightning strikes right next to the home dozens of times. You could go out and see the burn marks after it happened. Not to mention the house was sinking into the earth inches per year. We would joke and say that they didn't lay a foundation in it, because, quote-unquote, that's where they buried the bodies. I'm not sure I believed that, but now I'm starting to. I wasn't the only one to see things. My boyfriend and friend came over at one point. We were sitting on a big queen-sized bed. We had been hearing things, so we were huddled up together kind of creeped out. Suddenly, we heard a cat yowling from the dark hallway, and a few seconds later, a shoe came hurtling from the darkness, hitting the wall behind us with a loud thud. No one else was in the house. On another occasion, I had a friend over, who had fallen asleep on the downstairs couch at around 3 a.m. I went to bed upstairs, since there wasn't enough room for both of us. I came back down at 7.30, and he was now wide awake and pale as a ghost. He says he had just seen some faceless dark thing floating from the kitchen and following me upstairs when I had just recently left, but then it departed from me to float into my mom's room. All of this still bothers me, terrifies me, though we don't live there anymore. I have nightmares and dreams about all this stuff and I'm worried that one day I'll move into a home that's just as haunted, or worse. The woods are not a good place to rest. From Mr. Jump 6000
Just writing this out, I feel as if I'm being watched. This happened to me and a friend of mine when we turned 19. It was about five years ago now. It was 2015, and we were feeling a bit bored. So we went out for a walk in the woods to ease our minds and bodies. We were pretty tired, though, and we weren't paying much attention to where we were going. So we were soon lost, or maybe we were just too tired to want to go back yet. We soon hunkered down under a tree, listening to some podcasts together. Now, the two of us had been in Boy Scouts together and had hunted together often. We'd taken plenty of survivalist training together. Now back to the story. As we sat there under the tree, headphones in, we soon fell asleep, side by side. I woke up sometime in the middle of the night. My friend was still next to me, sound asleep. But I was hearing something strange. A sort of screeching sound. And it wasn't too distant. When the screeching sound went full out, sounding right next to us, I was horrified. I shook my friend to get him awake, but he wouldn't budge. So I dumped some water on him. He was mad for a moment, but I told him to shush and listen. And the sound came again. He was groggy, of course, having just wakened. But I was terrified and ready to leave. So I dragged him by the arm, and I ran full speed through the woods back to the truck we had taken, to the entrance of the woods. We didn't hear anything else until we made it out of the woods. We were climbing into my truck, when suddenly something landed on the roof, and began to make this snapping sound. It was sort of moist, like someone trying to mimic an insect noise with their mouth. I put the pedal to the metal, and I went way too fast through that trail. Eventually, the snapping sound stopped, and I watched through the rearview mirror as a silhouette jumped away from the hood of my truck, jumping from tree to tree. It wasn't a bird, that was for sure, but whatever it was, it was big, and it did have these odd-looking wings. I'm not sure what it was, but it hasn't deterred me from going hunting or walking in the woods, but I can't say the same for my friend who seems to be afraid of the forest these days. But I can't really blame him. Creature in my house, from Murph 17. This happened about two years ago, but it was so haunting that I remember it quite vividly still. My immediate family and I are a large family of Christians, we believe in God and angels, we believe in Satan and demons. So whenever my family and I move into a new home, my parents would have us all pray for it, praying for any and all evil there to leave the house in the name of Jesus Christ. My parents said that doing so would make any evil being in the house leave, because we had power over them in his name. But that doesn't mean that it will keep other evil beings out. My parents would often tell me that whenever we had visitors that aren't believers, there's always the possibility that demons could enter our home with those visitors. As to not scare the other children, my parents would only tell us older kids about this, which at the time were my younger twin sisters and I. I've been into all things horror and supernatural since I was 13, 
So the thought of demons actually existing in our world was fascinating, but also slightly frightening. I didn't really know what to think of it, because nothing paranormal had ever happened to me before. I brushed this off, thinking that paranormal things hardly happen to people, so it probably would not happen to me. I want to give you a good idea of what the downstairs looked like before I get into what happened. When you walk down the stairs, there's a big room that's like a second living room, and had a puzzle-like couch, some toys, and a big TV. Past this second living room was a hallway where most of the kids' bedrooms were. As you walk down the hallway on the left, there was my younger twin sister's room, my room, and a room that all of my younger brothers shared. And to the right, right across from my room, was the bathroom. The bathroom was bigger than average. It had a long counter with two sinks, a toilet, and a shower with a textured sheer slider door. One day, my parents invited a couple over to our house to just hang out, have food, and talk. Us kids were here to stay downstairs, so we weren't chaotic around the couple. Everything seemed normal, and my parents had fun with the couple. After they left, though, it was time for all the kids except for me to go to bed. After helping to get all of the little kids to bed, I walked down the stairs to go to the bathroom and brush my teeth. As I walked down the hallway, I saw that the lights were off and the door was slightly opened. I didn't think much about it, of course, because I figured one of my siblings must have left it open. I opened the door, and before I could reach to turn the lights on, I froze. There was this thing that was maybe ten feet away from me, squatting and hunched over next to our toilet. I audibly gasped. It looked tall, extremely tall, even though it was hunching over. Its whole body was so thin, and it had really long fingers, too. I couldn't make out any other details, because it was just too dark to see anything else. But then it noticed me, and quickly turned its head to look at me. Then I saw its eyes were huge, and they were glowing yellow. After a few seconds, I quickly turned on the lights, and as soon as I did... The thing disappeared with the darkness. I screamed in terror, running back a few feet. I didn't know what to do. Where'd it go? I thought. I was in denial, saying that that's impossible, that that can't be real. I ran up the stairs and immediately got my dad. I cried and cried, telling him what had happened. After I calmed down a bit, we went downstairs together and prayed. I felt this dark feeling disappeared after we prayed. I felt a little bit better, but I decided to look up what I'd seen. Nothing matched exactly, but I did find stories of skinwalkers, wendigo, crawlers, and things like that. Eventually, I was able to go to sleep, but it took a few hours. I wish I could say that that was all that happened, but something else happened a couple of days later. A quick note, my brothers have an air filter in their room. It helps them sleep. So while all my younger brothers were sleeping one night, the oldest one, August, could not sleep because of an eerie feeling he had. Everything was pretty dark at the time, except for the blue light from his air filter. 
August said that when he looked over at it, he saw a creature that appeared goat-like, close to the air filter. He said it had the head of a goat, but he had a torso with no limbs. Now this is the part that really freaked me out. He said that the goat creature had glowing yellow eyes, just like the thing I had seen. I felt my stomach drop. My parents don't really talk about paranormal things except with the older kids, and he was pretty young, so when he told my parents, they instantly believed him and told him that we'd all pray together downstairs. We did, and thankfully nothing else happened while we lived in that house. Well, it wasn't really nothing, I guess, because after that, on rare occasions, I would experience sleep paralysis, and I would feel something watching me. It happened in every house after that, too. I would look, and I wouldn't see anyone there. It was dark in my room, after all, but I would feel this pain in my chest, and I could feel that whatever was watching me was getting closer by the second. The closer this thing got, the more my chest hurt. I could feel it get so close that it felt as if my ribcage was going to break in two, and my heart was going to burst. At that point, I was always able to move a finger, and when I did, the feeling would go away. I really hope that whatever was in that bathroom and what's watching me sleep now aren't the same thing. It's been two years, and I don't like thinking that this creature is the persistent type. When the Fog Comes Out From Jessam123 I live in Sacramento, California, and I had an encounter of huge proportion with an unknown creature. I was spending some time with an elderly friend of mine in Stockton, California. It was a week before Christmas. I had done my duties as a caregiver there, and it was getting late and very cold. It must have been around 3.10 a.m. when I was leaving and saying my goodbyes. I began to drive away from that little trailer park area in my little white car. When fog began to envelop my vehicle, the fog was so dense I couldn't see more than ten feet in front of me, and I was beginning to get worried. I slowed the car down, but somehow I was able to hear footsteps outside. I didn't pay much attention at first. By 3.20 a.m., the footsteps had kept on coming, so I drew down the driver's side window. I could hear the steps more clearly. I could see someone running on the side of the road. I was surprised. I remember thinking, who could be out so early in the morning, dressed in black, running on the side of the road in this kind of fog? Curiosity began to take over. I needed to have a look at this. Suddenly, a stench like death and decay came in through the window. I wanted to gag. It was like rancid, rotting meat. Dread and fear started taking over my curiosity. By then, I was driving next to the thing, and I could make it out in more detail. This thing was huge. Its legs were taller than my car. It was hairy, black in color. It was catching up at 40 miles per hour, and soon it noticed I was looking at it. It pounced towards my car, 
latching onto my side mirror and shoving its face into the driver's side window. I got a good look at it. A look then that I realized I didn't want. Its face was the stuff of nightmares. Its eyes seemed to glow or reflect orange. It didn't have a snout. Instead, it had two skeletal slits for a nose. And its mouth had a horrifying smile to it, which was open enough for me to see two rows of sharp teeth, each tooth being around two inches long. It seemed to be mocking me, as if saying that you could be my dinner tonight. My dread was palpable. I was not about to die this way. I sped up to 65 miles per hour, but somehow it was still keeping speed with me. I began to scream like some sort of scared child. This was my boogeyman, and I did not want to go out this way, being eaten by something like that. I sped up to 80 miles per hour. Keep in mind, I had no visibility. I was surprised I didn't die through a car crash. I was crying, tears falling down my cheeks, my pants becoming moist from me soiling myself. Suddenly, it let go of the mirror and ran off to the side of the road into a walnut orchard. It disappeared. I was too scared to slow down, though. I kept going at that insane speed until I hit the highway, thankful that I hadn't crushed my car into a tree. My adrenaline was still pumping. I felt as if I was going insane. And even with the thick mist or fog outside, even having sped a few miles away from that thing, I swear I could still smell it. I smelled that rancid, rotten smell all the way home. But I didn't make it all the way home right away. A few miles up the road, I stopped again, having spotted a waving woman on the side of the freeway. Her car had died. Now, I'll be honest here, I did not stop because I was a good Samaritan. I stopped because I feared that that thing would eat her, and I know that that would be a painful death. I had a charge box in my car. I took it out and helped her out. I tried to explain to her that the walnut orchard might have something in it that we don't want to be around for, but she looked at me like I was funny. Once we got her car started, she took off, and I did as well. Eventually, the fog began to dissipate, and the smell was gone with it. I began to calm down, and I started to wonder. The fog, and then the smell, and then that creature, were they related? Whenever another fog like that comes again, am I going to be scared? Should I be? Drive safe, everyone. And don't be rubbernecking for things on the side of the road. Because some of those things, well, they might just want to eat you. What the heck was that thing? From The Mental. I'm a guy in my mid-twenties, living in the United States. I love the outdoors. Hunting, fishing, camping, hiking. These were my regular activities especially with my dad. We used to partake in them regularly when I was growing up. I never did lose that passion, and I ensure that I always had time for my outings. These outings seemed to calm me, or they used to. Recently, I've been encouraging my friends to join me on these adventures, 
as just like my dad, I believe it's great for the soul to get in touch with your surroundings, to remind yourself that you are still a part of nature. Luckily for us, our town is surrounded in great hiking trails and lots of explorable national parks. I was with my friends TJ and FR. I had once again convinced my two friends to accompany me on a hike and had picked a brilliant trail. It was the furthest we would have been so far, a four-hour round trip through some of the finest pine forests in North America. As usual, the start of the hike was met with sulking from my two friends, but I knew they'd liven up eventually. They always did. They enjoyed the outdoors, even if they didn't admit it. Sure enough, ten minutes in and we were all joking and enjoying the fresh air, as well as the freedom of the bright spring day. The trail was well-walked and relatively easy terrain. We even passed a few other walkers, coming back to the entrance of the trail. I guess that makes what happened even more strange. At roughly the point in which the trail is at its deepest into the wilderness, I began to hear a rustling of leaves about fifty feet off the trail. I stopped and I whispered to my friends to be quiet. The way the light filtered through the dense trees created a very atmospheric scene, perfect for what I thought was going to be a close encounter with a deer. However, as I began to focus on the sound, I started to feel confused, worried even. The rustling sound was uneven, like a short burst of noise, a pause, and then a continuation. We could very easily follow the path of the animal on sound alone, which was not something you'd hear from a deer. As we all stood on the trail, staring into the thick trees, we began to make out movement. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but it was a man wearing full hiking gear. But he was sporadically dancing and leaping between trees. It looked to be like some sort of ballet, except he was perfectly clearing fallen logs and rocks, skipping in and out of the trees like it was nothing, so gracefully. I looked toward the others to see if they were seeing what I was seeing, and sure enough they both had grins plastered on their faces, staring at the now pirouetting man. What the heck is he doing? my friend whispered, trying to hold back a laugh. I looked at him, a smile forming on his face. Maybe he's drunk, I mouthed, and I looked back at the man. He had stopped about thirty feet away from us, still within the tree line. He was staring right back at us. Confusion began welling up in me again. The way he was standing there, it was so odd. The only way I can describe it is he was like a cowboy in an old western standoff, his legs were at shoulder width, and his arms were by his side, as if he was ready to grab some kind of sidearm. But it was his face that really began to disturb me. It was all normal, sure, except for the fact that the man looked dead. His eyes were droopy, his mouth was slack-jawed, and hung open just slightly. His skin was also pale. My smile began to fade, and he continued to stare us down. 
Now I wish to God that I could say he began to sprint at us or yell at us or something. But he did something much more terrible. Without moving his body, his head started to turn to the right, further and further. It got to the point in which a normal human's head would have stopped, but with an audible pop and snap, his head began to twist further and further until we were staring into the back of his head, his body not moving an inch. My smile had long since been replaced with a look of horror. What is all I could breathe? And just like that, like he had never stopped at all, the man began pirouetting and leaping through the trees away from us, his head still facing 180 degrees the wrong way. I could see his slacked jaw bouncing up and down like it was completely dislocated. We stood there until the rustling noise was distant and fading. My mind was working overtime to figure out what my eyes had just seen. I looked at the others. They were white as ghosts, wearing the same look of absolute horror that I knew I was sporting. Without a word... All three of us began running at full speed back down the trail, terrified beyond belief. We didn't see him again, and I'm certain he was not human. I often wonder what the point of that encounter was. It was the most disturbing thing I'd ever seen, and it has stuck in my head ever since that day. I've developed a bit of insomnia since then, and I stopped going outside too often terrified that I'll run into that dancing man of a creature again. My friends don't even speak of it, and all three of us barely talk anymore. I just wish I could erase that memory, get rid of the sound of his cracking neck from my mind. What the heck was out there? <laughs>